Listening to the quarter to three movie podcast for closed circuit, closed circuit, yeah, closed circuit. <laughs> it's not closed circuit, right? That's not even a thing, is it? Did I screw yeah. it up? Yeah. Closed circuit, yeah, as opposed to an open circuit. A uh, closed circuit was the movie that we saw this week. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here to talk closed circuit with. Christian McCrowski. Whoa, 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 whoa. For the purposes of this recording, let's just refer to me as Podcaster X. <laughs> and with our closed circuit tagline, Kelly Wand. Uh, bad reception, good deception. Uh, this was your poster slogan for the movie. Not. Okay, no, that works for me. I'm okay with <laughs> At that. last we find out what a tagline is. <laughs> Well, I didn't think about it till now. Four years later, Kelly Wand. <laughs> now I know what taglines are. Yeah. Well, now I know why you didn't like all those other ones, because they weren't doing that. I liked some of them. Like, number Wand. five isn't alive, wouldn't be on the poster. And okay, what time is it? It's, uh, all right, how many minutes in did we get the first short circuit joke? Are there more? <laughs> I hope so. It's five. Uh, so this week, before we talk a bit about what we saw, maybe you didn't see Closed Circuit. You probably didn't. You probably don't even know what it is. Don't leave yet. Hold on a second. Uh, we have a present for you. Um, kind of a present. It, it's a present for us as well. It's maybe something that everyone will enjoy. Uh, and I'm not going to give you the spiel every week. It's the only time you're going to get it. So I probably should have done On this. On the Closed Circuit podcast, probably one of our least listened to ones. Yeah, yeah. Like, I could, Why didn't we think of this for like Pacific Rim or World War Z or something? But no, here we are on the Closed Circuit podcast announcing our pledge drive. Kind of. Now, we've been doing the podcast for coming up on four years. I think, in fact, this is our 199th episode. Uh, it'll be four years this October, in fact. Uh, and over those four years, I think we've maybe missed two, maybe just one. Um, That's weird. But we've been, we've been at it pretty consistent for a while. And uh, we don't make any money from this. We do it mostly because, and this was why we went into it, we like seeing movies and, and talking with each other about them. Uh, so like most podcasts, as far as I know, this is definitely not a for-profit deal for us. Uh, and in fact, in terms of uh, the, the, the site that hosts these podcasts, which is quarter2three.com, um, it's mostly a money sink. Because for starters, you know, we, we're seeing four movies a month. That's roughly $15 each. That's like $60 a month for each of us. We could all each take up smoking, for instance, for, for that, that amount of money. Uh, we could get what? Uh, Wait, cigarettes. Why? Cigarettes are expensive. Uh, we could get cable. We could get premium cable channels for that. Uh, but even aside from what we spend seeing the movies, uh, the podcasts... Uh, we do a movie podcast and games podcast every week. They take up way more bandwidth and storage space than the rest of our, our content. So we get charged a higher monthly fee as a direct result of this and the video gaming podcast. Um, now, quarter to three, we, we do make some money from Google Ads. That's only when people click on them. That's our, our main source of income. For a few months earlier this year, we were running ads from an additional network, uh, and that made us some extra money. But it turned out after a few months, their ads were significantly slowing down the loading time. 
So we dumped them because my overall philosophy here is that I would rather go broke running the site than bugging the people who are kind enough to visit it. Um, so uh, we also have an Amazon box. Um, when you search for things at Amazon.com and you buy them through our box, uh, that's great. We get a little bit of cut of that. It's also great because I like seeing <laughs> what people are buying, you know, what games they're playing, what movies they're watching. Um, but the thing with the Amazon box is people rarely use it. Uh, for instance, I think maybe two weeks ago, I wrote up a, a cool horror movie I saw called No One Lives. Uh, and then at the end, I linked to uh, a link where people could watch it and support quarter to three. And every time they did that, we get 20 cents. Uh, we made 80 cents from that. <laughs> uh, I spent $10 on Europa Report, so now I'm down only 990 uh, that's right, exactly. We, we might have 980. I think we got 20 cents back from that as well, Kelly. Well, he, was splitting, he was splitting half of that with you. <laughs> okay, I say. You owe me $3 and Dingus, uh, I owe $3. We're going to have to get out a calculator to figure that later. Uh, but no, I'm good for it. Trust me on that, Kelly Wand. I have a theory uh, that our listeners don't have any money. Like, rich people don't listen to us. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll maybe do a survey. All right. Just, yeah, send in your income level. Uh, Profit survey. <laughs> uh, and then finally, we also have a donate button on the front page. And I am terrible about plugging that. And as a result, it mostly goes unused for months at a time. Uh, and in fact, uh, I didn't tell this to you guys. This is news to you. You're, you're hearing it first here. Uh, we had our first donation in months just this past week. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it came from... Uh, Kyle Covino, who right now, who might feel differently about his donation once he sits down to watch the copy of, of Zombie Massacre that he won, I think, a couple of podcasts <laughs> ago. I think he threw it away and then he kept the post-it. It could be. Uh, so sorry about that, Kyle. And, and Kyle, thanks for the, the donation. Um, so anyway, what, what all this is to say, and I'm sorry to bend your ear about it because I hate when my favorite podcasts and radio shows do pledge drives, but all this is to say we could really use your support, uh, especially given, and I'm about to drop a, a, a little bomb. You're the first to hear it here, especially given what's happening at quarter to three this week. We are finally, after far too many years, getting a full redesign on the front page of the site. Uh, I hired someone. We've been working on it for a while. Uh, it suffered some delays, and, and hopefully it looks like those will all be gone this week so that whenever you go to the site, it's going to look like way more than the crappy WordPress blog that it's looked like for, for too long. Um, so along with that redesign, we would like to have a pledge drive that will go towards paying for the redesign, and then everything beyond that we will split three ways, basically to buy our movie tickets. Um, so, but we're not just asking you for money. Don't think of this just as a pledge drive. Think of this as paid voting, because here, here's the deal. Here's what's going on. It's a stop duty. If you have been going to movies lately, you've probably seen the trailer for Rush, which is a movie that Ron Howard directed where Thor drives a race car, drives like CG race cars around tracks or whatever. Me and Dingus and Kelly Wand have no desire to see Rush when it opens on the weekend of September 27th. Now, normally, oh. we instead, we're not going to see it. Don't, don't worry, Kelly Wand. Normally, we would sub in something newly released on DVD, or we'd do some movie we'd missed from previous weeks, or we'd pick some little indie thing that was opening. But instead... For our September 
29th slash 30th podcast, we tend to post shortly after midnight, we're going to leave it to you as for what movie we see. All you have to do... Is so awesome. They don't I, love that. I, I love that reaction from Kelly because mine is the opposite. Uh, maybe uh, they might actually force us to see Rush. I mean, I, I have no idea what the vote is. I vote badly usually, so I have. Yeah, I'm guessing. I, well, here's the deal. All you have to do is donate a dollar. Just donate a dollar via PayPal. Use the little button on the front page. Or if you'd rather, you can donate it to that 3 by 3 at quarter to 3 com email address that we use for, for listener submissions. That's three, the number 3, the letter X, the number 3, at quarter to 3 com. You can PayPal to that or use the, front, the button on the front page. When you PayPal, just stick in a little note as far as what movie you were voting for. Send us a dollar, and your vote goes into what's basically going to be a lottery system. So what we will do is we will list all of the votes, and we will use a random number generator. I'm going to do this on the air on the September 23rd podcast based on the number of dollars for every vote. So if you just want to pay one dollar and, and vote for us to see, you know, Star Wars or something. Uh-huh. How do you then, get those seeds in their heads? What's wrong? Then, <laughs> that. If you want to do that, there's a chance your number could come up. Now, if you want it to be more likely, if you really want to force us to watch Air Bud or something, and that's fine. It's a legitimate vote. Then, you know what? Pledge $10 and, and write Air Bud. And that's 10 votes towards Air Bud. Um, Can I stuff the box myself? with? No, 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 no. no we're, we're talking about movies, Kelly. <laughs> and, and also, it's important to know, employees of quarter to three and their immediate family are not eligible for this pledge. They, they cannot use this pledge drive. Yeah. Mrs. can, just not. Kelly, I don't want you using your mom to set up some shell account <sighs> so that you stuff the box and get us to watch Zapped. You know, don't think that I hadn't thought of this. That's that Part of the legal proceedings for this is that we can't vote for movies ourselves. But you just said Zapped. Oh, he's immediate family. Shadow Shadow Cat. Cat. Oh, he's a producer. That's right. Never mind. Audience, you want us to do Zapped, don't you? Not Maybe they do. You know what? And, and pick whatever movie you want. It could be a recent movie, an old movie. It can be any genre. It can be a classic. It can be something obscure. It can be in theaters. It can be on DVD. Whatever you like. We will see it, and we will devote the September 30th podcast to that movie, just like we would any other movie. We'll talk about the, the Metacritic rating. We'll talk about its opening. <laughs> You're Dingus not just Dingus getting a movie. Dingus will, the, Dingus will explain the MPAA rating. Furthermore, here's, I think, going to be the real value for your dollar. Kelly Wand will do a synopsis of it. Snap synopsis. Think about it. That's right. Think about it. And then we'll talk about it for as much as we have time to say before Britney Spears plays us over to that week's 3 by 3 So that is our pledge drive. I'm not going to bend your ear about this every week. We will, however, keep you abreast on what movies are in the front running and by how much. But we'll definitely let you know as this is going on over the next few weeks uh, just what the voting is looking like. It can be any movie, right? Like not just something that's coming out that weekend, even if there's a Zapped revival. Yep, exactly. Like I said, uh, it, it can be on DVD. It can be crappy. It can be good. It can be awesome. You can love it. You can hate it. You can want to force us to suffer through something. But it has to exist. Like Whatever works for you. Production. Ideally, no, it, it has to exist. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we can't see things that aren't out yet. I, I, should, I should let you know. We do not have the power to travel into the future. That is not part of this we podcast. We do travel through the future, just really slowly. Can I have a question? Yes, Tinkus. Yes. Are documentaries movies? Absolutely not. Everybody knows oh, that. Hear that? Documentary is Nader. Not- Nader's documentary. 
Here, for instance, the number one movie in America this, this week is not even a movie. It's some documentary called This Is Up or The Up Direction or One Up. or the Wait, one. what? This, it's is some, up. It's, this Is Us. Oh, I thought this there was Up. up. Okay. I, is it about like the Baxter? Who are those Wait, guys? Wait, is that the title that made people want to go see? Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm part of Us. It's little girls going to see a, a boy band. It's this. It's called. I think it's called One Direction. This is us. Oh, the band. I see. So the title of the movie is This Is Us, and the the band is called One Direction. Right. What? I've never even heard of this band. I'm so. Should I have heard of of One Direction? Man. Wait. Did those, so these are twelve year old girls. Like in three years, will they be going? Oh, let's look what the twelve year olds listen to now. No, they'll be listening to our podcast of the One Direction movie. <laughs> that, that could happen on September 30th, by the way. That could be what, if the listeners vote, if they want us to see One Direction Us Up, we will see that. <laughs> One Direction Us Up. And I will say, you know what, even though I feel that a documentary is not a movie, yes. that's what the listeners want us to see. If they want us to see, say, uh, Fog of War, or Thin Red Line, or Fast, Cheap, and Out uh. of Control. Uh, thin blue line. Sorry, we will do that. We will, you know, we'll we'll suck it up for the listeners. So, so there you go. <laughs> That's sucking it up instead of use, uh, use the donate button or uh, just PayPal directly to three x three at quarter to three dot com, uh, and we'll keep you posted on how it goes. Sorry for the long spiel. I am done with that. One last question about it. Yes, Kelly Wan. Yes. Does this event have a name, or is it just called September thirtieth? It's called the Pledge, pledge Drive. A okay. quarter to three redesigned Pledge Drive. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it's like so. Yeah, so that said, before we uh, – should, should we talk about Getaway, by the way? Before we <laughs> I can't believe I saw it. I really am impressed. <laughs> you evince no interest in podcasting about it. So the fact that you, you've, you've had on a three-day weekend even enough time to see that Getaway is already exciting to me. Well, I didn't watch the trailer. So here's the oh, thing. Um, Dingus, explain to me what that uh, Huffington Post article said about Ethan Hawke again. Uh, the the it was just a headline, but it was basically like if this were a just world, then uh, Ethan Hawke would be Brad Pitt. So you know, he, because I guess the implication is that he's such a great actor, and just because he doesn't look like Brad Pitt, he's not Brad Pitt. I think he, uh, yeah, he. I really do like him a lot, and he uh, he breaks my heart every time I watch this amazing movie called uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. I mean, uh. I I just I, he is just so tremendous, and he carries that movie alongside Philip Seymour Hoffman, and that's not an easy thing for any actor to do. So I definitely I loved when you told me about that thing is because I definitely have a weak spot for Ethan Hawke. He's uh, good in Training Day. He's amazing in Training Day, exactly, and and he's supposed like to be a an, uh, Assault Precinct Thirteen, the remake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're kind of losing me now there. But I mean, I, I, same guy. I don't think he's ever really bad. I don't know. I can't think of a bad performance of him. He makes some lousy choices, but I, I can't think of anything. I haven't bad. seen the before trilogy. What was that? Uh, okay, wait, what? what was that? Um, Lord he's of War. Great in that. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. That's that's part of. I mean, the fact that I ran to before to the devil knows you're dead. When all you have to do oh. is just look at his chemistry with with Julia Delpy is in that, those the before trilogy. He's so good at those as well. That has before in the title too, so it's part of that same series. Ah, the before quadrology. Uh, <laughs> well, then I'll watch it. Um, and I so and he but, has been doing some horrible movies re- recently. The uh, I always screwed up the one where Vincent D'Onofrio appears over Skype and warns him about a demon named Bagul. I think that one is called uh, Sinister. Um, <laughs> he, he's the lead in that. He's the lead in um, the not the Pledge. What the heck is that stupid thing about oh, the Purge? 
Um, but his, 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 uh, I hope this doesn't spoil it. Actually, it's gonna spoil it, but they're terrible movies, so I'm okay with spoiling it. Uh, the best career cha- choice he made for Sinister and The Purge is he didn't survive the movies. So any, any, uh, sequels he will not have to show up for. Um, uh, <laughs> you think that was, that was contractual? <laughs> so, spoilers there. Wait, Skype tells him about Bagul. So in Sinister, they got Vincent D'Onofrio to be the professor that gives you the exposition about the demon, but they didn't get him to show up on the set. Ethan Hawke literally Skypes with him, and they just show Vincent D'Onofrio's head on a computer screen in a Skype window explaining the demon to Ethan Hawke. That sounds like Sinatra in Cannonball Run 2, where he didn't appear personally, and Getaway reminds me the premise of like the vanishing meets Smoking the Bandit. So it's the Hal Needham connection with Ethan Hawke. Back to what you're saying. I, you know, I, I like the way you... Th- that's exactly what made me want to see it, Kelly Wand, is when the trailer started, I stopped watching after a bit, but immediately what I got from the trailer is we have Ethan Hawke, and we have him driving around a car really fast. With? And that, I don't even know who that is, by the way, except she was the good girl. She was the good girl in Spring Breakers is all I know. Got written out because she got out of the car. Now she's back in the car. All right, exactly. You go in the car, Selena goes in the car. Her also <laughs> like a doll's eye. <laughs> You know what, that is funny. So as I was watching Getaway, Kelly Wand, it occurred to me that the Selena Gomez girl has no, like, presence. There's, there's, no, there's nothing there. And as I was watching the movie, I was thinking, Selena Gomez's eyes like a doll's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally what I was thinking. Um, uh, but at any rate, it is terrible. But there's one moment, and Ethan Hawke is really... Uh, you know he's 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 trying he's he's working it um but the movie is the movie is so ridiculous it's basically like a driving mission in one of these crazy over the top open world games like like grand theft auto or saint saints row he's a race car driver right like he's gosh. a former no he's a former race no. car driver he's out of the business he washed <laughs> out uh he just is going to settle down with his wife in romania uh, the backstory there is because it's cheaper to film a movie like this in Romania, but that's where he goes with his well, life. They had surprised they went to that much hassle. Uh, well, it's this the the Roma- They must have trashed probably, and I'm I'm not exaggerating. They probably trashed at least thirty Romanian police cars in this movie. Oh, so it's uh, like Blues Brothers, but serious. Um, that I was thinking more like Gone in sixty seconds, the remake, but not as good. <laughs> wow, that's where I was gone. That is. To- and the, the problem is, it is so quick cut. I mean, they obviously do a lot of serious work on the streets in uh, uh, Bucharest. Uh, at any rate, wherever the, the capital of Romania is, they do a lot of practical work on the streets. They have a lot of cars they're trashing. Like I said, you know, at least 30 police cars get wrecked. Uh, this beautiful, just super sexy Shelby Super Cobra, like the car he drives, it's such product placement because they have on the, the seat rests right behind their heads, so it's always in the shot, uh, a Shelby logo. Um, but, man, that car is super hot and really sexy. And the premise is that someone, for, for whatever reason, has stuck a bunch of cameras on the car, like these little mini cams, and is using a cell phone connection to tell Ethan Hawke to do various tasks. And it's at like first, speed, kind of. 
It, well, it's it, it, the reason it reminds me more of these Grand Theft Auto games is the tasks are things like crash into as many things as you can, what? Dri- drive out on that ice skating rink, uh, cut through the park, turn left now, uh, you know, <laughs> ram this police car. Like the guys watching Ethan Hawke in the action over these mini cams, and they're they're used mainly to portray to show the actual scenes, but it's cut up so quickly that there's no sense for any of the choreography except for. Near the end of the movie, there is one stretch, it's probably three minutes long, where it's just a fender cam. You know, you don't see any of the cars, it's just a camera mounted on the fender, there's no actors, there's no conversation, there's no dialogue. It's a three-minute stretch of this car chasing down the main bad guy's car down these roads in, in Romania. And it's breathtaking, it's amazing when they finally let you just watch this car drive super fast through traffic. Um, and it's only at the end of the movie. It only happens once. Um, and it just made me think, oh, if you had done this more often, this would have really been thrilling. Um, so but. he's a serial killer with car fetish, and he has a car. Okay, here's the spoiler. It is John Voight doing a Russian, a German accent, and that's not a joke at all. That's totally the So like Anaconda, kind of. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, Anaconda. <laughs> Anaconda, kind of. Anaconda, kind of. John Boyd is in Anaconda throughout, though. It would be more like Eric Stoltz. Not even Eric Stoltz in Anaconda, because he only what shows up to the end. Get it? Is his uh, German accent better than Harrison Ford's Russian accent in Hot Cover? And the rocks in everything. In nothing. Ah. Did I mention that I watched The Tooth Fairy? Uh, again? What was, what was he doing? Because Tom's Tooth came out. I will. I will go. I will explain to you how The Rock is really good. The Rock does things in the Tooth Fairy that Harrison Ford could never even dream of Harrison doing. Harrison Ford could never find a tooth under a pillow. Convinced The Rock, the Harrison Ford would never. Harrison Ford would never wear a a, tut, a pink tutu and fairy. That's true. I guess yep. The Rock's the better actor there. Thank you, Kelly. Wanda, I rest my case. But the the Indiana Jones outfit's kind of like uh, if a girl wears it. <laughs> exactly right. Only it's taupe. Dingus, what did we see this week besides Getaway and Tooth Fairy? Uh, I can't believe you hadn't seen it before this week. With such high estimation of his talent, you missed. Was Steve Merchant funny in it? How did you know he was in it? Because I had no idea Stephen Merchant was in The Tooth Fairy. Yeah, Stephen Merchant is very funny. And that's another thing. Uh, the Rock works well with Stephen Merchant. Like, put him opposite somebody who's really got solid comedic timing. The Rock will rise to the occasion, Kelly Wand. Harrison Ford's good when Carrie Fisher's British accent. <laughs> what? They're confusing him with Peter Cushing. Nice try. I don't know, thanks. Dingus, tell us about what we saw this week again. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> spoiler! In Tom's breath. Tom's breath. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Couldn't hold it in any longer. He's like, all right, all right this drive's this done. I can finally go. Hey. <laughs> this week we saw a closed circuit, also mm. known as Sulitud Ring in Estonia. <laughs> That's where uh, Getaway was shot originally, before the war. <laughs> right. Before they got kicked out and moved to Romania. Um, it's a 2013 British drama crime thriller movie about when it is permissible to remove one's wig in a British courtroom. <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> We're closed. Remove your wigs. It was directed by John Crowley and written by Stephen Knight. It stars Jim Broadbent, Riz Ahmed, Eric Bana, Rebecca Hall, mm. and mm. Siren Hines. Mm. See the kid? Well, 
Uh, isn't it? Weren't we told Dingus that Siren is actually Kieran? Like Kieran? It, it's a uh, Kieran Hines. I think it's like yeah. I believe it's Kieran Hines. Is how you say it. No, let's say it like that. Don't be getting okay. a pledge from him. Because oh. how do you say the? Tw- <laughs> uh, pledge ba- jokes. Dingus, you say it. Uh, banya. No, uh, Banya. Cabanya, boy. And every now and then you will hear my Australian accent. Um, what's, who's, uh, who's the guy in 28 Days Later? I'm blanking on his name. Killian Murphy. Killian. All right. So, yeah, Kieran. Uh, uh, I wish Kill was part of my first name. It almost is. <laughs> Kill Kelly Wand. Killy. Killy. Killia. We can call you Killian Wand. You can. It's true. I don't know why Closed I'm talking Closed circuit like that. is rated PG and only PG. What? What? I, I did not know we were seeing a PG, a kids movie this week. I've never seen all my life. Wait a yeah, minute. I took my eight-year-old to this. It was awesome. Was he, well... Well, it, it was... It's uh, a nine pass, it, doesn't it? Whatever that it's means. It's PG for language and brief violence. <laughs> right. Yeah, an 11-year-old can handle this movie. Closed Circuit opened at number 15 this weekend. Oh, my God. <laughs> it made two and a half million dollars. No one's interested in circuits that don't open. Wait, 15? There were 15 movies this weekend? Yep. There were fi- well, no. I mean, some of them were returning movies. We're the Millers, We're the Millers, by the way. Holding Strong. It just crossed 100 million. I think Holding Strong is yeah, number three. Yeah. 100 million? Yep. Uh, I better see it. Uh, so, meanwhile, Closed Circuit, its opening weekend, made it $2.5 million. It's a limited opening, though. I think it was only like 800 screens or something. Um, Circuit wasn't even opened. On Metacritic, which is the average ratings of various reviews, Closed Circuit is at 54. On Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, Closed Circuit scored 44% positive reviews. <sighs> Both fours. Which brings us to the Closed Circopsis. Wait, wait, you have to say, oh, so I don't know what you say. <laughs> I say it brings us to the closed circopsis. 54, 44, sir, wait, so what was it? What was your guess? 100, 100% pure. Kelly Wand, would you like to tell me where you've received your training? Afghanistan, Chechnya, Pakistan? Uh, Estonia. Ah, Dingus wins. <laughs> mm. uh, was that a real question? Where have I really received my training for this? <laughs> it's actually a, a quote from Thor. Yeah, I which, know that. I, which I believe will be invalidated uh, this November with the new Thor movie. Oh, they're going to retcon where his training happened. Actually, isn't that... Uh, uh, Agent Coulson's back alive, by the way. Did you know yeah, that? Greg, Greg Clark, Clark Greg Dingus, tell me his name again. Clark, Clark Gregson. Clark Gregson. Clark Gregson, really? Yeah. In the oh, old days, that used to mean you were Greg's son. But now, uh, it's just nothing. But that is his name, Dingus? Uh, no, I think, uh, you know, I, I was actually, uh, I'm wrong about the rating of this movie. Oh, no, it's too late, Dingus. We've gone past that. No, we've gone, because I, pre- I thought there was an F-bomb. Um, no, there's Dingus- there's more than one. There's uh, there's more than one. It's rated R for language. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> Lights drivers, that's what you're getting with. <laughs> Unite. Yes. There's also, there's also blood, Dingus, and there is there is a fair amount of peril, so I would yeah, have been very surprised if it was. But it's not, it's not my blood. Uh, <laughs> think it's on fire tonight. All right, so Kelly Wand, how about that closed circopsis? No. Closed circopsis? Uh, that's close. It's closed circopsis. What did you say? I don't know. <laughs> I said it got 54 on Metacritic. And 44 on the other one. 
<laughs> so Kelly Wan, drive it like he stole it. Post success. Some terrorists protest counterterrorism by blowing up 12 cat. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Man, that's the fastest Kelly Wand has ever crashed in America. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it's not a harbinger. Closed circuses, take two. Some terrorists protest counterterrorism by blowing up 12 traffic cameras using a white dump truck. They trick the cops by putting the truck in reverse. One of them's 14-year-old son calls Scotland Yard right beforehand and warns them, but nobody does anything. So the 12 TV screens get turned off with explosives instead of by the usual switches. Voiceovers tell us there's going to be a closed court case with an inconclusive outcome. Panic in the streets ensues. Meanwhile, Eric Banner takes advantage of this by rowing all alone down Piccadilly Creek. Although his real job's filing shit in a powdered wig. You guys still there? <laughs> no. Uh, Eric Banner used to bang Anne Hathaway, but now they work in different places. <laughs> How could you mistake them? She, oh, I love her so much. I can let both of them make fun of them in the opsis. All right. I would think if you really loved them, you would get their names straight, Kelly Wand. Mm, I, they get me straight first, and then... <laughs> yeah, so there. Actresses. <laughs> Don't start it. Then take in your guff. Anyway, uh, Eric Banner used to bang Anne Hathaway, but now they work in different buildings, so she's pissed off all the time because she's not having sex anymore. Her job is to wear a slightly wider wig while she also reads paperwork to the wooden hammer guy who sits up high that he hasn't had time to look at yet. Eric Banner's defending the Mexican kid's dad for not getting blown up. Anne Hathaway's also defending. The guy in a wig brings them into a room and goes, Okay, only two sexy-looking bureaucrats in London. You guys are going to be on the phone occasionally, so this is very important. You haven't read sex, have you? They stop having sex for a second and go, Oh, how long are you going to be here? <laughs> Eric Banyan learns that his predecessor killed himself by getting murdered for looking for the case that his boss has assigned him. But the UK CIA tricked themselves by forgetting someone would replace him. But they're glad it's Eric Banyan because he used to have sex with Anne Hathaway. But they're not glad. Eric Banyan's horse-faced, older white friend gives him a key to the dead guy's paperwork room. It's full of giant stacks of paper made out of hay bales and bailiwicks. Eric Banyan puts his glasses on and starts intensely pouring over a receipt for some washcloths. The horse guy's all, Whatever, Eric, here's the key. Even though this door's unlocked now, so you don't need it. Meanwhile, another Mexican guy, but with a beard, comes to Anne Hathaway's new whiter office. He's all, let me know if you need any help, keeping your yap shut. <laughs> Were you worried I wasn't going to do a British accent, I guess? Yeah, I was getting, I was getting increasingly worried. I was, it's a slow build, like deer hunter. Uh, she's all, cut the shit, Cheech, I know your ghost protocol. She's from a different part of England, that's why I had to, and she's a girl. He's all, huh? I'm just a cab driver. Yo quiero biblioteca. Guys, we got a 420 Dane search on floor, whatever this is. <laughs> Eric Banyan calls Anne Hathaway and goes, meet me at that first place I took you. That's his British accent. An hour later, the bearded Mexican assassin wakes up in bed to find Eric Banyan and Anne Hathaway in bed with them having sex. He's all, what the... 
Anne Hathaway rolls her eyes. Eric Banyan's all, all right, maybe we should have met somewhere else. Mexican guy, how long are you going to be here? The bearded guy's all, that long? Eric Banner takes a beard sex break to go see the 14-year-old's dad, who's like 34, and they go into the prison cell interrogation room, and he's all, hey, you want some of this nicotine gum? And the terrorist's all, no thanks, it doesn't work for me. My shoes are too thick. What's this all about? Eric Banyan sits across from him, smiles engagingly, and writes some stuff on a folder of receipts for paperwork props and slides it across. It says, I was Hulk in that one with the poodle. (laughs) (laughs) The 34-year-old gets up, vomits in horror, goes to the door, and begins screaming at the guards for a shiv. Eric Banner takes a gum vomit break to go to an expensive banquet where Julia Stiles comes up to him in a red dress, and he's all, listen, bitch, this is the ninth banquet you've stocked me to wearing that red dress. How many times I got to tell you, I'm into frigid brunettes. She's all, actually, I'm a hard-hitting, serious journalist. My plan is to... Yeah. <laughs> From where, exactly? <laughs> oh, New England. My plan was to come here, wear this dress, and get murdered. My government won't mind. Uh, she's hard to do, Julia Stiles. He leaves. Gets, gets into a hackney, unless you're Dexter. Gets into a hackney cab and goes, <laughs> Stiles. He tells the driver, I see you have a different number than the last cab I took. It won't signify, I tell you. If I was a better lawyer, I'd explain further. <laughs> the guy's all, yeah, uh, destination? So, hospital. And step up. And then a car rams the cab. He wakes up in the hospital with a broken spine. Salman Rushdie visits him and goes, Keep up talking to cabbies, the next car accident will end for your neck again. Eric Banner's all, My neck may never be swan-like, but tomorrow you'll still be the truth, sir, if you please. Gobna. Next day they go to court and Anne Hathaway's all, The whole system's out of fucking order. They should put a sign on it. So that night the Mexican guy tries to strangle her, but she tricks him by biting him. Eric Banyan meets her in his hotel room and she pees all, They tried to strangle you? She flings off her brunette wig, revealing she's bald. She's all, Yeah, look, I don't need your male protection, all right? My biting strats never failed me. He's all, Actually, I was thinking we should just give up. We're lawyers, they're assassins. <laughs> I know you're one and out, but... Uh. She, now that's the whatever your name is I fell in love with. She pulls off her scalp, revealing another powdered wig. He's all, hey, since we're not having sex anymore, would you mind if I avenge Julia Stiles' death? She's all, do what you want. He's all, forget it. She heads for the bathroom. I don't want to be in the same room for the sex, or when you make the we give up come strangle us call. He's all, you haven't changed a bit, except you're older, way older. She stops at the bathroom door, and they stare at the phone for a while. Eventually, it rings, and she slips on her coat. He picks it up and goes, this is Eric Banner. Well, thanks. He hangs up and goes, that 14-year-old broke his hair dryer, so he's running around. We can't give up till they chase us. <laughs> they run around the streets all night, and the Mexican guy grabs Anne Hathaway and tries to choke her again while he goes, you lawyers don't appreciate the freedoms we give you, or habeas corpus is the foundation in accordance with federal law. Ow, you bit me again. Uh, I see why actors... Tom. <laughs> uh, 
for once that wasn't me. But anyway, they saved the kid from the prostitute he's haggling with and take him to court for safekeeping. Summon Rushdie has eggs with Eric Banyan and goes, Hey, we're murdering that 34-year-old in the cell right now, so no funny business. So, uh, kind of, uh, six months later, Anne Hathaway's watching Eric Banyan row around. Then he weighs anchor and comes up to her on the pier and kisses her. We did it, baby. We gave up. She's all, yeah, I know what I've got right here. Uh, roughly, eventually she finds his willy. He's all, hey, for the sequel, let's really give up. They hold hands for a crane shot while a voiceover's all, two lovers lost interest today in the government lying scandal last Tuesday. <laughs> Julia Stiles' ghost was quoted as saying, at last my soul's at rest. In other news, the end. <laughs> woo Dingus, why did we want to see this? Who picked this fucking thing? <laughs> we wanted to see it because this director did an excellent, amazing movie called Boyer. Tell us about it. Uh, it's it's another British movie. It's, a, it's basically the story of... Um, a childhood murderer who is released from prison as a young adult and has to adjust to being a civilian. And it's the first time I remember seeing Andrew Garfield, um, who was in Kelly Wan's number 10 favorite movie of uh, last year, I think, The Amazing (laughs) Spider-Man. Only 10? Damn it. And he's... Freaking amazing uh, in this movie as the titular Boyer, and of course he's called that because he was he was a, a minor when he was put on trial for murder, and he could only be referred to as Boyer. Um, but it's a it's a fantastic movie. It's just amazing. It's so well paced. It's such a beautiful movie, and that's why we wanted to see Closed Circuit. And how does Closed Circuit hold up next to Boyer? Well, uh, let me just say that with Boyer, I know exactly why it's called that, and with closed circuit, I couldn't tell you. Because they have a lot of closed circuit cameras in uh, in the UK. Oh, that's right. Uh, I, cup. I I think it's uh, and, and you know the the other thing that's amazing about it is that this is written by somebody who's really good too. Oh, what is Stephen Knight written? What do we know? He him wrote. From? He wrote uh, Dirty Pretty Things. He wrote Eastern Promises. Oh, what? that's right. Yeah, yeah. Eastern Promises? That movie yeah. rules. Damn it. it. What? It totally rules. Um, and this mm-hmm. is... Was this like his first script, maybe? Like, ten years before Eastern Promises? Like something he had in, in the drawer when yeah. he was younger. Yeah. He's done other stuff. I don't know what the history of, of this movie is, but when I saw the pedigree of the writer, I thought, well, I'm going to just pin it on the writer. Um... And then I saw Eastern Promises and Dirty Pretty Things, which I think are both really good scripts. Uh, I was really pretty surprised. Hmm. Uh, I think the problem with it is it's not... I kind of... What little enjoyment I got from this, and I I thought it was just turgid, and there was really just not much to watch. It was confused. Uh, What little enjoyment I got, which wasn't much, was trying to parse whether it was going to be a romantic comedy, thriller... Or a thriller or a legal procedural. And there were various times in the movie that I, I was pretty sure one genre or the other was going to kick in, and then it just kind of ended without really yeah, committing yeah. To, to any one of those. Yeah. Uh, I, I think ultimately it really does think it's a political thriller, but, but there's no sense of, of menace or that, that gradually closing in paranoia that a really good political thriller needs. Um, 
Uh, yeah, it's not so, even topicality, topicality, which is weird considering it opens with bombings, which are usually topical. Well, I kind of think that it is an, an important subject, and I yeah. do think there's topicality to it. This idea of hiding, uh, of subverting the usual legal process for issues of national security and how terrorism makes us do that. And, and at one point, you know, when they when uh, I forgot who mentioned it, when somebody says something about July 2005, you know, that, that's something that the U.K. wrestles with. That's when the, the, there was a bombing in London of one of the buses there. And that, that's something that the U.K. wrestles with kind of on their own terms, much like we do. And, and I think that that is topical. No, it just has bombing. But what it, like what's, what's the viewpoint of the movie towards bombing? It's not bombing. It's, it's the viewpoint to prosecution and yeah. what and what we are allowed to know and, and how the justice system is supposed to work. The, the idea is that the, the accuser should be able to confront his, uh, I'm sorry, the accused should be able to confront his accuser and hear everything that's going on. And this movie is, is giving you the idea that, no, no, national security means that we can say things in secret. Don't worry, we're going to take care of it. We're going to take care of everything. We're going to have somebody special who's looking after you, but you don't get to hear it and we're not going to tell you about it. And, and that is patently absurd. Um, but the, the movie doesn't seem to really have a strong way of stating that. And Tom's right, because when half the time Jim Broadbent's on, I think it's going to be a comedy, and, and I don't know where they're going. There's one moment Jim Broadbent has when I'm like, oh, my, man, he got a little menacing there for a minute. But the movie never, never gets serious about anything, I don't think. Yeah, and, and it, it doesn't have any of what made Boy A work. And by the way, I think that that is a point of continuity with Boy A. Boy A is very much about, not very much about, but an undercurrent of Boy A is the British legal system. You know, the, right. the legal system and how it works and how it affects a person uh, and public perception. You know, that's the only, as I was watching this movie, that was the only reason, the only continuity I could see with what the director Crowley did with, with Boy A. Um, there's also a prison hanging. Ah, oh, right, right, yeah. <laughs> Good point. And a dead American reporter that's not being investigated. Or I guess her car crashed like so quit. Well, I, I think that's, uh, it's also ultimately kind of glib. Like it's yeah. all that, you know, once they're, they've got uh, Rez, um, uh, I think it's, what's the guy's name? I know him from Four Lions. Yeah, he's from I Four have... Lions. His name is, well, it's, it's R-I-Z, so I thought it would be Riz Ahmed. Okay, so yeah, by the time Riz Ahmed is chasing them around in an alley, uh, I, it just became complete. It had jumped the rails by that point. It had long since stopped being any relevant or thoughtful and just became this non committal yeah. political thriller. And all that blows over? Like, that's the ending of the movie? Well, I, I'm, I'm assuming what they're going for is this kind of traditional bleak ending with, with certain movies like this, like that you got in these 70s political thrillers. Uh, but I, by, but then by, they subvert it. Yeah. They, they subvert it, and they, and they make it, they want to put this sort of romantic subplot. They, they kind of want that to be the emotional engine driving it, which is so painfully just... Yeah. I mean, I guess the best thing I can say about the romantic stuff is that there was this sense of unresolved tension. They never... I don't think they ever kiss, do they? No. Yeah. But I'm okay with that. Like, I liked, okay, it's never going to work out for them, but then at the end, okay, yeah, I guess it does. Uh, I prefer the romance in Marathon Man myself compared to this shit. Romance in Marathon Man? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's oh. a trail. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the, what the, the, this movie's ending gave 
I got a little bit of goodwill for the movie for a moment there when when it felt like the actual ending was going to be that Eric Bana gave up. They both just are going to move on with their lives. She's going to try to hire him to do to work with her because you need somebody with a little less integrity or whatever is going on there. Uh, and I thought that what we're getting is just a sort of ending of like we gave up. And that's life. That's life. But instead, we get this triumphant voiceover of Parliament, where Jim Broadbent's <laughs> yeah. being called on the carpet. And I'm like, really? You're gonna you're gonna ruin the one thing I felt goodwill about? Really? Tell you what, what's the noise of Jim Broadbent being called out on the carpet? <laughs> Wait, that was Diggis's goodwill. Was the Jim well, Broadbent? No, no, that was no, where he lost the goodwill. Oh. Exactly. I like the idea that the that the protagonist of the movie, that the the male lead. Gives in the up. end, has, has given up, and it's that's give up. Left with. I mean, his his moment is to just give up. They give Not up, but then a fourteen year old's involved, so then they don't give up, and then because of fourteen year olds, they give up again. That's what I got out of that. Last I, I think it really feels just like a tacked on thing. I mean, I think the script probably called for. Somehow they gave up so that the mother and the son could stay in the country and not be deported to someplace off. Right, right, and that's it. Well, but these guys are murdering people, so <laughs> you're you're cutting deals with murderers. Like they'll just pop all of you. That's where it's ridiculous. Is yeah, by by putting all this stuff about all these mysterious deaths and the fellow chasing them around in the alley. Like it, it, it kills Julia Stiles' character for way less than they've just done. Yeah. They have physical evidence of uh, attempted assassinations. There's a kid running. I, what the fuck? I mean, I think ultimately it just doesn't hold together. No. Uh, it, yeah. And half the scenes don't make any sense. Can Can you tell me why that scene in the football at the football match makes sense? Why? First of all, it wasn't. It was baseball. Uh, <laughs> no, wait, no, it wasn't. I thought it yeah, was what are you talking about? It was baseball. In England? Yeah. They go to a baseball game. Uh, all right. And, well, that yes. makes sense. The baseball part. And it made sense, Dingus, because it showed that even though he took pains to evade the watchful eye of the closed-circuit cameras... Oh, he goes to a baseball game where they have tons of them. Uh, well, no, it's just, or either that or Jim Broadbent just happened... Or no, no, Kieran Hines just happened to be at the game. <laughs> I was hoping that they would show him on the Jumbotron of proposing for <laughs> But I don't understand why he, he bothers to go to all that trouble to have a scene with her where he Sit says, on the this is what's going on, don't do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't give her anything useful. It's no, he, he does. He says he's an MI five. Don't do anything. Don't say anything. I'll take care of it. And she's all yada yada yada. And he's all no. I lo- I don't want them to kill you. And then she's all uh. You don't why want to bother tell her this information. Yeah. Why did he have that scene at all? If he's good, if he wants to take care of it himself, why does he tell her anything? How did you guys feel about her? By the way, actually, let's talk actors. How did how did they do? The acting's fine. The writing's terrible. Don't see the movie. <laughs> Good work, actors. Dingus, any bright spots for you? I actually really did like Jim Broadbent. Um, again, I think the movie suffers from this huge tonal problem um, that you mentioned earlier. Uh, but I, I, I like what he's doing because when he gets to that hospital scene where Eric Bann is there in his neck brace and he shifts over into this so from his affable, I'm, I'm a goofy guy from a Gilbert and Sullivan movie into um, this little bit of twisting, menacing kind of character that he moves into. I really liked that. So I did like him. Make him the villain in the next Bond movie. That's, what, that's my vote. Yeah, I'd be happy with that because I think he can do just about anything and he, 
he's often relied upon to do that goofy stuff. Um, although in, in Longford, I mean, he was, he's pretty straightforward. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just liked it when he did that little bit of turn in that, in that one hospital scene where I felt like, oh, okay, now we're serious. Um, other than that, I don't know what anybody has to do. I mean, I liked Reza Med. Uh, I liked the kid. I don't know who that is. He was fine. Um, am, am I the only one who feels that Rebecca Hall is a little too distractingly just flat out hot? Yes. Like she's, she is, uh, she, I mean, seriously, like I mean, no. Bergman kind of thing. She, she should not be playing normal people. Like, it just doesn't work for me. No, she's super hot. Well, that was what I meant to say, whichever the yes or no was. And it's distracting. If the movie isn't, like, really firing on all cylinders, if they're, like, it, I'm just going to sit there and pay attention to her. Even just the act, not in a lurid way, just her, like, taking off her heels when she comes home. That was, like, so incredibly sexy. I uh, like her fucked, the, she's got, like, a fucked up t- tooth thing. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I love it. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. You know who also has an awesome screwed up tooth, Kelly Wand? Shannon uh, uh, I don't know about that. Uh, Ju- Juno Temple. Juno Temple, if you're listening, don't get your teeth fixed. I love that adorable snaggletooth thing. She should cast. Uh, also, Jewel. Mm, thing is, we're not, this is not the pop music podcast. No, my mistake. She was in that one movie. <laughs> oh, you're right. Ride with the Devil. Ah, that thing has trumped me. Is that what you were going to say? I was going to say Cold Mountain, but I think it was Ride with the Devil. Well, her name's yeah. not Enamel, so it wouldn't be. Wait, the Civil War movie? Uh, yeah, Jewel is in the Ang Lee Civil War movie and not the Jonathan Franzen uh, adaptation that Dingus probably loves because it has Jude Law. <laughs> uh, so um, I was kind of – Kelly Wand, I, I made a note to ask you about this as I was watching the movie, and the movie became about what are we going to do with this kid and we're going to get him to the courthouse by 10 a.m., um, I, I wrote, it turns out we're just going to walk down the street. Here's the yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I uh, some like tense scene, and they walk past the reporter. Oh, and they just go in the front yeah. door, and so much for that scene. Made Argo look awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but Kelly Wand, what it made me write down is ask Kelly Wand about the gauntlet with Clint Eastwood and Sandra Locke, where he's got oh, yeah, to put yeah, her, yeah. he's got to put her in this like armor reinforced bus and drive it to a courthouse. So she can testify, while for whatever reason, like a bunch of cops are trying to shoot them? Is, yeah. is that the gauntlet? Yeah, and hitmen are trying to kill them, too. Is it awesome? Uh, you know, this is one of the Sandra Locke ones. She, but she's in the orangutan ones, and those are both good. I don't care. I wouldn't be there for Sandra Locke. I would be there to see this, like, awesome armored bus driving through it's the It's okay, city. but it's like Clint driving more than him shooting and, like, glaring at people, which is kind of the money. Hey, one, who drives the bus better, Clint Eastwood or Sandra Bullock? Uh, what's his name in the big bus? <laughs> I don't know what that's Rizzo right. Rizzo from Greece is in it. Is in what? The big bus. You can see that movie? Oh, there's a movie called The Big Bus? Yeah. I haven't heard of that. Dingus, do you know The Big Bus? No, I just kept thinking about Damnation Alley. Oh, look at Dingus pulling out the sci-fi cred on both of us, Kelly Wand. What do you think of that? <sighs> Wait, which, what, who, why was he thinking of it? Because it's got that RV. The What's that got to do with buses? Buses well, are like RVs. When he said big armored bus, that just yeah. reminded me of that Damnation Alley thing, which is one of those, one of the first things I saw, it was in this old car lot as you drive over Cuenga to go into Hollywood. And the first time I did that when I moved here, I was like, hey, that's the Damnation Alley vehicle. So when Tom mentioned an armored bus, it made me think of that. Kelly Wan, does Damnation Alley hold up? Uh, the book's a little better. 
What's the best I don't guest I've seen it? I saw it at someone's house and went, we should watch this, and then I right. passed out. It's one of those kind of things. <laughs> so I'm guessing that means no. It's it got doesn't. giant scorpions in it. And oh, I like that. Bears is in it, and the main guy's uh, Hannibal from A-Team. Mm-hmm. Uh, the TV show, though, not Liam Neeson. <sighs> Very disappointing. It's an American. That's, it's a damnation alley, man. No one comes out of the damnation alley undamned. You guys know there's an RV in We're the Millers, right? You know that, don't you? Are there giant scorpions in it when they get to Mexico? Kelly One, there are. If you think Luis Guzman demanding oral sex is a giant scorpion. Uh, which way is it facing? <laughs> wow. think, uh, that's spe- speaking of speaking of horror. <laughs> it's got giant scorpions in. One, two, three. <laughs> they shouldn't go for it. The, this the, the enduring image from that movie is the is the sea of cockroaches that kills them. Ah, oh, spoiler. Wait, kills who? You talking about Damnation Alley still? Yeah. All? They get killed by a sea of cockroaches? Yeah, it just overruns this car no. that they're hiding Dingus, in. It's amazing. As a kid... No, sorry. I think Dingus is thinking of Creepshow, which, by the way, hold on, and let me add that to my three-by-three. Three. Oh, that's a good one. Creepshow. What is it? What is that guy's name? That's a Marshall. Marshall McLuhan. Oh, no, what's his name? E.G. Marshall. E.G. Marshall, right. Hold on, I've got Marshall McLuhan right here. Good save, Dingus. This three by three, which I can't believe we haven't done. We've touched on these subjects before in some three by threes, but this is basically your favorite horror movie kills. Do whatever you will with this. I'm very excited by what. I am too, and I've actually rewatched a couple of things this week. Um, ah. Some of which held up, some of which didn't. Uh, so let's talk about this, and let's start. Uh, you know what? I, I forgot who's three by three is next week. Dingus is right. So Dingus, you uh, you're kind of a junior member of the quarter to three horror club. So this will be more, more exciting, though. Yeah, you know, I'm you looking said. forward to see what Dingus comes up yeah, with. Yeah. Too. You, Kelly Wan, I mean, I probably know all the ones you've yeah, come up with. I probably, well, we probably have the same ones, which. Because I took the topics too seriously to be awesome. Because I was like, well, that one's staging on that outweighs the composition. Well, we'll see what you're Connoisseurs. Well, as Dingus will, it's like, this, these, were, these are the things that traumatized Dingus so much that he stayed a horror newbie. He couldn't face. Right, yes. This is why, this is why he has never seen Human Centipede, for right. instance. Yeah. So, Dingus, why don't you start us off with a line from your number three pick? Sunday afternoon, clear blue skies. I'm lying in bed with my wife, and now I'm back in this shithole. Well, Apocalypse Now? Midnight runs out a horror movie, although it does take place at midnight. <laughs> Rushmore does have thematic elements. Yeah. No, but it, it does involve a helicopter pilot. <sighs> Terminator. Oh. No, he's probably... Is he doing 28 Days Later? 28 oh, Weeks Later. 28 Weeks Later. Wait, all right, right, a sequel. All right, Dingus, explain this. I've actually done this in video games. Explain this. All right, this is the uh, helicopter kill in uh, in 28 Weeks Later, and the quote is coming from um, Harold Perrineau, 
who is a helicopter pilot in the movie. And it's just this wonderful moment that I freaking loved from, it's one of my favorite moments of that year where the, the helicopter rotor blade gets, uh, pointed down and zombies are killed with it. So it's not a specific kill of a specific character, but it's a bunch of zombies mowed down by a helicopter. What? Why are you going what, Kelly Wand? Oh, I thought it had to be like, a character getting killed. And not well, the like problem it. here is that if they were real zombies, they would already be dead. Yeah, they're not oh, killed. No, 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 no. It's 28 weeks later. They're they're infected with the rage virus, so it's not the traditional. So I think Dingus gets this one because they're not undead. For instance, if Dingus had picked uh, Dawn of the Dead when the helicopter walks out onto the field and just gets his, the top of his head chopped off by the helicopter blade, that wouldn't work because that guy was already dead. Right, Kelly Wand? Yeah, but I think you have to, like, he... The, the kill is like which one got it the worst. Pick one of them. The one with the red shirt. All right. <laughs> red shirt guy from 20 Weeks Later is James. Uh, and, and also, <laughs> does that mean, Kelly Wan, that you can't pick the lawnmower in Dead Alive? Uh, right. Although, there is a. Uh, well, we'll, get, we'll get. Dead Alive will come back. All right. Okay. Good. Uh, <laughs> well, Kelly Wan, what do you then have for your number three pick? Uh, this is a kind of a, it's kind of a shitty movie, but it was a really, it made me get it, like, oh, that's one of the best deaths I've ever seen, and then the rest of the movie happened, and it was, uh, the dude in 13 Ghosts, who gets sliced in half lengthwise by that glass door. Do you remember that part? So, like, his brains have, and somehow I guess his hands, too. <laughs> that's the part I have trouble visualizing in my head, as it were. You remember what I'm talking Ghosts, about? I don't remember much about... Um, you know what? I'm thinking of Ghost Ship with the wire. Uh, That's good, too. The 13 Ghosts is... Yeah, I guess I don't remember... I remember that. I think you've talked about that before. I think that's a pretty good one, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, then the, nothing ever happens in the movie that's as good as that. And he was kind of like the only... He was like the dick character, like the lawyer, blood-sucking lawyer in Jurassic Park. So then after that, they run... It's like, I think everyone else lives, even. Mm-hmm. Are you serious? No one else gets killed but that guy in 13 Ghosts? Uh, I think the chick from Army of Darkness gets killed in it because she gets crushed by um, a wheel or something. These ghosts really need to step up their game, then. <laughs> I assume the ghost tricked him into moving into the wrong door. Because he's, like, talking shit to them, and then he gets there, and then I guess he miscalculates or something. <laughs> and so it's a glass, a glass door closes on him? Yeah, and it cuts him in half lengthwise, so his, his front half slides. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can visualize this. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And he has, like, a funny look on his face. And then, right. wait, what? Oh, so it's kind of a good reveal. Mm-hmm. Okay, the last two. 13 ghosts. Uh, a lot of mine are crappy movies, uh, and a lot of them, too, have less to do with the movie and more to do with how old I was, because my favorite kills are not necessarily context-sensitive so much as they have to do with how they affected me and how much I remembered them. So all of these are from old movies, actually, and most of them are from bad movies, um, all of which I recently watched. Um, And one of them, uh, there's a horror movie from 1981 starring the older sister from Little House on the Prairie called Happy Birthday to Me. (laughs) I remember Um, this one. And it's got, by the way, there are one, two, there are three awesome kills in this. So I had to pick which one. And I went back and watched the movie. Uh, it's, it's an early slasher film in that you just have this group of friends and they're getting killed one by one. And so much of the movie is about 
misdirection about who's doing the killing and who's the victim. And Melissa, not Melissa, here, Melissa no, no, Melissa Sue Anderson uh, is the main sort of victim slash heroine. Maybe she's the killer. You don't know. Uh, and there's even you'll recognize some character actors from it. Um, but my favorite and, and the movie isn't any good, but it does have some really inventive kills. And what I was struck by when I rewatched this is how little they actually showed back then and how much was just implied. Uh, and this is partly a matter of the special effects, partly a matter of, you know, if you imply it strongly enough or create a strong enough situation, you can create an impression in the viewer's mind. And as a kid, it certainly worked for me because every single one of these kills, I remembered being much more sort of vivid and graphic. Um, and the one that I'll single out is, it's I think the first kill in the movie, uh, there's a guy repairing his motorcycle, and the killer, he's just, he's got the, he's got it propped up where the rear wheel is off the ground, and the wheel is spinning fast, and every now and then he reaches up and tweaks the little motorcycle driver throttle thing, uh, to, to rev it up, and he's sitting there, crouched down next to the wheel, looking at something or fixing something, and the killer just walks up behind him, takes his scarf, and throws it into the wheel of the motorcycle. <laughs> and it gets wrapped up, and it pulls his face into the spokes and just instantly kills him. That's an easy one for the killer. That's a well, the, the funny thing that I noticed watching it is in the scene before this, a different character had been wearing the scarf. It's like two dudes. And, and the scarf had belonged to an actor named Matt Craven, who I recognize. The, another dude had been wearing the scarf up to this point in the movie, but for whatever reason, they decide, oh, uh, give that actor your scarf. You know, we're going to give him a piece of your wardrobe just while he's fixing the motorcycle. And it's the exact same scarf. It's ridiculous. Uh, Wait, so why would he wear a scarf to work on a motorcycle? Well, that, that's a, yeah, exactly. Thank you, Kelly Wand. <laughs> Matt Craven was working back then? Matt Craven was, yeah. And he, by the way, he didn't, do you really know who that is, Dingus? Yeah, I do. He looks the same, too. I mean, he's got a little less hair. He's grayer now. But uh, you look at Matt Craven in 1981 as one of the teenagers in this horror movie, and you're like, oh, yeah, sure enough, Matt Craven. How'd the scarf hold up? Man, he's had a good career. I mean, he's worked for, wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it is great. And he's kind of, you know, he's engaging in this. Something Glenn Ford is even in this. I mean, they're actually, the acting is kind of decent. It's a gorgeous movie, by the way. There's a Blu-ray available for it. And it's kind of eye-opening, because it's a director who'd done a lot of old movies, I forget his name, but it's a guy who's been around for a while, so they had a budget, and they had, like, some nice camera work, and it looked good, uh, it, it, you know, it was good composition, and just, it, it just had this, it wasn't like this cheap Cinemax lighting that so many horror movies back then had, uh, it was just a good-looking, lush movie, um, so, so the motorcycle kill would be my favorite, but then there's another one that I remembered, the kill itself I don't like, but the build-up I really like. And it definitely reminds me of what the Final Destination movies ended up doing. There's a weightlifting kill where one of the characters is lifting weights. And he's on a bench press on his back, and there's the bracket where you put the weights above him. And he'd do some reps, and he'd put it the, the uh, bench, he'd put the weight back up on the bracket. And so the killer walks in. And we don't know the killer at this point, but we know that the people who get killed recognize him or her. And they go, oh, it's you. Uh, and they talk to the person. You don't see the killer's face. So we see the killer walking in while this guy's lift, uh, doing the bench press. And and the, the the bench presser says to the killer, whose face we don't see, oh, hey, it's you. Uh, would you put some more weight on there for me? <laughs> and so the killer undoes the bracket, puts, you know, like. Wait, it's a girl, on. though. 
the killer is. Um, yes, but they're very. She's wearing gloves. You know, it's very clear the entire time that there's no. Uh, you know, you don't know the killer's gender, and there's a bunch of fake outs. Is it a dude? Is it a chick? Um, but so the, the killer puts weights on and the guy does a few more reps and then he's like, you know what? Put some more weight on there. So the killer puts 15 more pounds on each side. He's and the guy on a diet, it sounds like. Well, they don't expect that, that this person is going to kill them because we know it's one of the circle of yeah. friends. So the guy then lifts up the weight with all the extra weight and the killer just gradually, just slowly scoots the bench, the bracket out of the way. So the guy can't set the weights down uh. and the guy's like, wait, what are you doing? Hold on a second. Don't do that. Quit screwing around. And sure enough, the killer puts more weight on each end while the guy is sitting there holding the weight. And he's going, no, don't do this. And then the killer takes one more 10-pound, uh, the little bell things, and holds it up right over the dude's crotch and oh. drops it on his nuts, which makes the guy <laughs> let loose of the bench of the bar, and it hits him on the throat. And, and presumably that crushes his throat. Couldn't he um, just drop it back over his head? Yeah, why didn't he just... Well, I, I, I mean, hey, when I was weight... When I lift weights yes. and I push it too hard, yeah, I just let it fall behind my head. Exactly. But when Tom drops a pipe, <laughs> it's through the uh, just. But another thing, you know, I just remember that, that sounds really better good. than the one you picked, though, to me. Well, the thing is, uh, it, it's a better setup. But just the idea of having your face pulled into a motorcycle, and by the way, the way they shot that is they just show the wheel spinning, and they have one shot from behind of the tire with the actor's face fairly close to this to the the wheel. You don't get a sense for depth and they just splatter a little blood on his face and it's just a one it's like maybe a second long shot and then afterwards they have this weird out of focus shot of what looks like bloody meat like you can't tell what it is and that's all it's just those two little images um so the weight bench one you know they they have the actor just pull the bar down to his throat and they spurt blood up there's there's nothing that graphic and the the one that i always remembered i think this was on a poster for a while is finally the killer we know it's a girl at this point. Uh, Melissa Sue Anderson is seducing Matt Craven at this point. And she invites him over to her place. And she's like, I'm going to cook for you. And he's like, okay, awesome. And they, they go in front of the fire. And he thinks he's totally going to get laid. And she's cooked shish kebab for him. So she is feeding him shish kebab. But rather than holding the spiky thing perpendicular to his mouth, she holds it straight towards his mouth, and he pulls a piece of meat off when she feeds him. And at one point, she goes to feed him meat and just jams Matt Craven right through the back of the head. Oh, like it fits. No, Kelly Wan, it impales him. <laughs> it, it kills him, yeah. <laughs> Wait, is that part of the seduction? Uh, I, th- I don't. Th- I think that's the end of the evening for him. Yeah, I think that's the uh-huh. conclusion to the seduction, Kelly Wan. That's that's not the penetration he was hoping for. I'm pretty sure. Oh God! Oh, God. <laughs> Happy birthday to him, huh? <laughs> uh, but at any rate, which is uh, more horrifying: the uh, motorcycle wheel or the propeller in Indiana Jones? Uh, the motorcycle wheel, because the propeller seems like quick and merciful. The motorcycle wheel, like the guys sitting there going, oh, like it, it definitely it, like, makes <laughs> it's a like lot. Of it does. <laughs> Uh, I saw another horror movie recently called No One Lives, where uh, 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 what's, his, what's what's the guy's name, Dingus? That was Zeus in the Immortals. Oh, Craig Lucas. Craig Lucas. Is the Michael Luke Fattman. Evans. Luke Evans. Uh, where Luke Evans holds the dude's face down into a a, a fan at the front of a motor. Um, and, it, you know, they try to be more graphic, and then he finally pulls the guy away, and, and we're going to see the aftermath of this. And all they did was put, like, a latex textured mask over the guy's normal face. Aftermask. 
But by not showing what happened to his face in Happy Birthday to me, you just imagine it and in your in your imagination from the implication, it's way grosser. It's like a birthday wish, but dark. They actually sing Happy Birthday to me. They sing the song that you normally have to pay rights to these days in Happy Birthday Did to me. Did they pay for it? Not Did back they then. They pirate it. I don't think they had to back then. Hmm. Isn't Twinkle Twinkle Little Star kind of the same thing? Like, does that guy get a cut? Uh, Is that another horror movie? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll bring that up on the Let's pop, see Gilbert. pop music podcast when we talk about Jewel. That was the last of the holiday-themed ones, because then I realized, well, they're out, and then Leprechaun was like 20 years later. Went, oh, Happy birthday to me? No, Kelly, well, that was just oh, getting warmed up. There's the Thanksgiving one that Tom told us about. Thanks killing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks killing. It's about the puppet turkey that kills people. What? So there's, I think there might be two or three of those. Hey, I'm going to bed soon. Can you please? <laughs> well, before you do, Kelly Wan, Dingus, what is your number two pick for a favorite kill? And maybe you've got a line for us. Here's a line. Anybody ever tell you you look dead, man? Is it is it a John Landis movie? No. Oh damn. Huh. That would have been a. Yeah, that's my guess. Uh, anyone tell you you look dead, man? Oh, oh, that's Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man. <laughs> Would you just think that's a horror movie? Or because it has Dead Man in the title, it's a horror movie. Um, uh, no, it is not uh, a Jim Jarmusch movie nor a John Landis movie. Is it, it any Ridley Scott movie? <sighs> a Ridley Scott movie? Anybody ever tell? Oh, he's got to be doing uh, Alien. He's so yeah. far. Yeah, so far these are okay. Go ahead. Yeah, these, I'm not doing slasher movies. So I'm doing no, no. These are horror movies. It's an alien's yeah. teeth doing it. I don't do human. <laughs> so the, the, my favorite kill from that movie is when the titular alien kills Kane from the inside out. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. No, no, I know, because I was thinking about that one, and was, it was almost my number one. Cause but I also remember how it affected me the first time I saw Alien, and it me the heck out. I, this was maybe partly where I get my aversity to spoilers, but I remember my, my older cousin Clint telling me, Every, or no, no, it's a different cousin telling me everything that happened. Not everything, but describing Alien to me before I even got yeah. to see it. Saying things like, "And this alien bursts out of this guy's chest, and then the alien has a mouth inside it with another mouth that pops <laughs> out." And he would say these things to me, and I was like, "No, come on, no, that's yeah. not in a movie." And then I was like, "I have to see this, you know, come hell or high yeah, water." Yeah, my mom did that. She did. She goes, "Oh, it's so disgusting!" And she was making spaghetti for dinner while she was telling me what happened in Alien. Uh, did she let you see it? No, I saw. Yeah, my mom didn't let me see it either. Dingus, did your mom? Did your folks let you see Alien? No, I didn't get to see Alien until I got to see it on a crappy VHS copy in college, and I was like, "What's all the fuss about?" Because everybody's talking about how awesome that's the design is. The design is so great. Oh man, the production design. Wait till you see it, and you can't tell on a TV. And then, luckily, the uh, revival house that was down on Duke of Gloucester. down on the the, the little old uh, historical street down the way from my college, showed it on the big screen one day, uh, and, or one week, and I went down to see it, and I was like, oh, that's what they're talking about. Holy cow. Um, and that mo- in that moment, it, when, you know, his shirt turns red, oh, man, it's, ugh. Dingus, is that where you first uh, realized how hot Veronica Cartwright was? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really why that scene's so iconic. Is because she steals the scene from the prosthetic. Yeah, with that. What, what noise did she make? It, it is she goes, "Oh God!" She was like that. <laughs> Do you remember that part? I think you I remember. I just remember going, "Ooh." 
You make her sound a little like Edith Bunker, Kelly Wand. <laughs> Which is another of your fetishes, I realize. But, uh, yeah, no, that's why it's so great. I was, it's like their improvised shock and disgust. Oh, God, no, don't even. It's one of those. And so I said to Dustin Hoffman, try acting, my dear boy. Uh, she wouldn't and have I shot him because I had diarrhea. She didn't say I got in the script. She had improvised that. Kelly Wan, what is your number two pick for a favorite horror movie kill? See, and he's the first one to wake up, too. So you go, all right, now I don't know who the star of the movie is. Because the guy woke up first in the first scene. Just got spaghetti sauce on him. Hmm? Number two of mine is... Uh, uh, it's the thing with the shock paddles. Wilford Brimley? No, um, no, because he gets locked up. Who is the character actor? Richard Dysart? Yeah. Dyson? Dysart. I think Blair? No, no, not Blair. Blair's Wilford Brimley. That's, how- That's another one, too, where you explain that sequence to someone, ending with, and then the head sprouts legs and walks away. Like, if you just explain <laughs> that whole sequence, that would be the kind of thing you would read that in a script, and you'd be like, you got to be kidding me. There's no way we could film this. This this is somebody's, like, weird LSD fever dream trip thing. It's something uh, I'd never seen before, and I think that's what Ding- impressed Dingus about Spaghetti and John Hurt. It's like, there's something new. Right, something right. Like, I'm glad I'm seeing this. I'm glad I lived to see this. Uh, and I guess they used a guy with who was missing arms for the one shot in the back. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, it says on the commentary, and you can tell oh, wait, it's not him. It's Michael Ironside. No, Tingus. That was legs. Tingus. <laughs> oh, those are totally arms from uh, Total Recall. Michael Ironside salutes his, his arms. Um, wait, why would you have to do that? Because you just hold up like fake stubs from the bottom of the frame. What do you mean? Know, they, you, about the angle of the shot? Because I don't know. I forget what oh. said they did that. Also, too, they were in the middle of nowhere filming it, and they still found a guy with no arms to be in that shot. They <laughs> found a guy with an open chest cavity. Yeah. <laughs> See, also, I was I, I love that kill, too, because it tells you so much about the personality of the alien. <laughs> He's going to fake a heart attack, and then the other guy that may be infected, too, is going to... He's, he has teeth ready for the shock paddles. Like, he foresees all... <laughs> he's going to psych him out. Yeah. And let, like, oh, doesn't he take... Like, right, he takes the first shock, yeah. and then for the second one, he opens the little chest yeah. mouth. So I get, yeah, it goes, yeah, I don't hear anything. i got to go in deeper, and then it slams through the obviously fake-looking skin and the cut <laughs> Jaws close, and you're like, really, alien? Really? You had that kind of time? Really? <laughs> well, my theory, though, isn't, isn't it... Isn't it awesome if Kurt Russell had said that? Really? Really? Really alien? (laughs) Really? Well, the guy says you gotta be fucking kidding, and that character's infected when he says it. So the alien's even going, you gotta be fucking kidding to itself. Wait, no, he's infected? Yeah. The guy, the guy, uh, Payne? No, Windows? The guy is infected who goes, stoner dude? No. No, he is, because he's the one who's infected on the chair, and the blood test is right after that. He has to. They haven't separated since then. So he, oh, you might be right, Kelly Wand. That's a miracle. That movie. How many times do you have to see that movie to parse that kind of stuff? I've seen it a bazillion times, and I can never. There's always at least three parts where I go, "Wait, I'm a little unclear on who's infected," which is a sign of genius filmmaking. How many times, Kelly Wand, do you have to see that movie before you can get straight the name of Keith David and David Keith? Mm, childs. <laughs> What's your question? <laughs> Never mind, I'll pass. Was the guy's the stoner's name? I feel dumb, I don't remember it. Windows. Is it uh, Windows? Oh, Windows is the guy who gets eaten in, in the blood test when uh, that guy eats his head. Who's the black roller skater? Chef. 
Is that Windows? Copper's the guy with the who gets his arms cut off. Who's McCready? <laughs> I hate you. Lamar <laughs> Burton. Kelly Wan, my number two pick. Excuse me, for a horror movie kill. Sorry. Uh, I watched this movie again, and it does not hold up. Uh, I'm very disappointed in it. But, man, I love this kill. I think it's a fantastic kill for a few reasons. Uh, you, By the time it happens, you really like the character. It's incredibly gruesome. Uh, it's staged very well. And specifically, I love the aftermath of it, where they sub in the actor's real head with this weird thing with reflected glass. There's just a shot of the aftermath of the kill that's really chilling. And it is, uh, and the, the kill is David Warner's beheading in The Omen. Um, <laughs> they were going to do that originally horizontally. Or no, the other way. But they could well, they do it horizontally. Uh, right, right, I fucked oh. up. They were going to do it vertically, but then for some reason it wouldn't work. So they wound up making it awesome due to kind of like the jaw, the shark always breaking down and jaws made it better. Well, it really does seem like it's, it's very carefully choreographed. Yeah. You know, there's the goofy thing where you see the guy, like, if the devil's killing people, I don't, I, I, I don't know that he has to, like, actually lower, have a, have a guy accidentally lower a parking, I don't, I don't know the mechanics of it. But you see a parking brake accidentally get lowered when a guy climbs out of the truck. David Warner has got, like, at this point, Gregory Peck is like, I'm not going to stab my son with these magic daggers. Screw this nonsense. And he throws the daggers away. And David Warner's like, well, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. And he goes over to this construction site where Gregory Peck had thrown the daggers, and he's, he's kneeling down to pick them up, and the truck is rolling towards him with a pane of glass laying horizontally in the back. And it, you think the truck's going to hit him, but it doesn't. The truck hits something and stops, but the pane of glass keeps going through. And they, and, you, you know, uh, Richard Donner does this full overhead shot of the glass sliding through a dummy's head, you know, <laughs> beheading the dummy, and then the head bounces around, uh, and then it furthermore crashes into another window right behind him. So then when they then cut to this shot of all this shattered glass with the reflection of David Warner's actual face in one of them, you know, having been beheaded and now being dead, uh, it's really chilling. Uh, I just, I love that. It's just, yeah, it's, I love that kill. Um and you like him, by the way. I, so I don't think the omen holds up at all. I think the omen is terrible. But I what? do like. I, yeah, I love David Warner in it. Um, but I think the rest of the omen is terrible. Have you watched it recently? No, but I thought I saw it like a few years ago, and and, he, and liked both that one and the second one. There's so much uh, running around doing research. Like that's a lot of it. Like it's so clear early on in the movie that yeah, Damien is like the son of the devil, and there's so much of people running around trying to get convinced of this and very very little i think only like three or maybe four people and only three people get killed uh lee Rimmick gets checked out of a hospital uh the priest gets impaled by a the top of the a nanny fire. Himself to impress the nanny does right she's a groupie a damn groupie i don't think she's a groupie i, th- I think she's uh she, the dog there's that crazy like big old dog that possesses her and looks at her and makes her kill herself um, but she I don't, I don't, Damien, this is for you. She wouldn't. Right. It's all for you, Damien. Right. It's, but I don't. I don't. I don't think she's like the evil nanny that comes in later. I don't know. Maybe she is. Um, but at any rate, those are the, that and David Warner. Like only four people get killed by the devil in this movie, and it's a lot of investigation. Um, I don't. I don't know Gregory Peck. Like I don't know his stuff enough, but I don't understand why he's a big deal from watching this movie. Uh, he's kind of just stiff. Not from that movie. 
Yeah, but I don't watch that movie and think, oh, no wonder he's a star. I get no sense of that. Uh, but furthermore, my biggest problem with the omen is because we all know that he's the devil's son. Does he no... protect the devil? Is that your question? <laughs> well, no. I, I wanted the movie that I would much rather see, and, and I know this is like armchair directing, but it seems to me like it would be a much more interesting movie if we got this sense that he actually loved his son. But you don't. He's this hes this uh, ambassador to London. He's very busy. He's got a nanny taking care of his son. He, of course, has misgivings about murdering this child. But a far more interesting movie to be to me would be watching this father struggle with this, for the fact that he loves his son and he has to kill his son to save the world. And there's none of that. Uh, you know, there, it, the movie is all just them doing investigation about the three sixes and the background of the priest who got killed. And well, I thought as an upside, it's like, well, at least he's not likable, so we just got to kill him. <laughs> and he's, the thing that does kill him is knives, so it can't be too bad. But is there an Abraham Isaac thing in the movie? No, that's the thing too. As I'm watching, I'm like, well, this should be, you know, God's telling him to get. But no, he never does it out of faith or anything. Uh, there, there's nothing like that. Like that's he knows Jewish, and this there's, there's a, and by the way, there's a whole scene where he's shaving the, and I remember this too, where he's he's taking scissors to cut a piece of uh, patches of the boy's hair away, so he can see, you know, the one place he wouldn't have seen that he had a birthmark. Um, but the thing, no, it's a six, 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 it's the three sixes. Um, but the thing is like, that would be even just the visuals of that, like a father coming to his sleeping son's bed to clip away pieces of his hair. And there's no sense of the way that shot. It's just him taking scissors and just, you know, manhandling this sleeping lump that we barely even see. Like that should be a really poignant, powerful moment. And it's not. Why does he just kill him then? He's already yeah, got the scissors. Be, it should be tender and gentle. And exactly. Right. Mm. Um, That's what I well, mean. Well, he has to take him to a church to, to kill him. He has to kill him in a church. What? And furthermore, the evil nanny, by the way, because yeah. I, I kind of liked her performance at times. Veronica um, Cartwright? Was that who it was? There was a Veronica Cartwright-esque quality to her, but no, it wasn't her. The evil nanny... Uh, is very ill-prepared to protect Damien because during the fight scenes with Gregory Peck, all she's doing is jumping on his back, doing that, like, crazy chick thing to jump on his back and yell and punch him ineffectually. But she's like, a dog, like, that's by a dog, I thought. So that's how a dog would fight. They jump no, she's, back. A, she's <laughs> definitely a, no, no, she's definitely a cultist. I'm no expert. She's there definitely on behalf of some Satanists or something. Uh, and finally, when they get down into the, a fight in the kitchen, nobody thinks to grab knives or anything. It's just while she's on his back and he's, like, running around and trying to back her into a wall. It's ridiculous. Not a they, accidentally, they accidentally knock some, some cutlery out of a drawer. And she takes a – what does she have? He's got one of those two-pronged, like, barbecue fork things. <laughs> she's got a whisk. <laughs> It's good versus evil. Uh, well, they each have their respective implement, and he ends up stabbing her with both of them. Uh, but anyway, now I don't know that he wins. I don't think the omen she's works. An old woman at cutlery. Uh, she's she's pretty spry. Uh, her name, by the way, <laughs> I thought her name. This is one of those instances of a of a beloved movie retroactively affecting your experience of an earlier movie. I thought her name in this movie, and I really loved thinking this until I was disabused of the notion. I thought the evil nanny's name in the omen was uh, Mrs. Belloc. What, from Belloc? Yeah, exactly. That would have really been awesome. But instead, it was just the fact that Gregory Peck has a weird accent. Her name is Mrs. Baylock. That's where Lucas stole that from, then. Who knows? It's the takeaway. 
Is, do I sound is, like I'm I'm roboting to you guys right now? You do not. You sound like a 100% person, Dingus. Okay, good. Which leaves us which leaves us to your number one pick and maybe a line from your favorite movie. Uh, with favorite horror movie, Kill, is what I meant to say. But you don't. All right. Here's a quote from it. They're never going to be able to eat all this. Uh, Delicatessen. No. Uh, Call Out of Space with David Keith. Eating, eating Raul. No. That's not a horror movie. It's a sex movie. <laughs> The Shining? All right, let me, let me give you the, the front part of the line. Listen, I want you to go up to the house, wake your mom up, get some cleaning supplies, get some lawn and leaf bags. They're never going to be able to eat all this. Parents? Damn. Dingus hasn't seen parents. He hasn't? you gotta, you got to think more mainstream, Kelly Wan. Parenthood. <laughs> I mean, parent trap. The, ki- the, kill, the killer uses uh, for the final two kill, or I don't know if they're final, actually. Uh, for the kill before this and this kill uses a lawnmower blade. Huh. Without the lawnmower? No, not misery. Uh, what's the Bill Paxton hunting demons? Frailty? Frailty. No. Hunt Fred. Oh. Um, lawnmower man. Oh, sling blade? Uh, no, that's not a sling. That's not, not bad. No, it's, um, it's a movie called The Woman. That's not horror, is it, Tom? <laughs> it's totally it's horror. It's about female empowerment. I wasn't oh, fond of the, the kills in this for the most part, but I want to hear which one Dingus says in mind. I don't remember it. Um, I watched it again, and boy, this kill almost makes me throw up, but I love the way it plays out. Because uh, when she kills um, the father, uh, the dad, Chris Cleck, I think is the Cleek. Cleek, think Cleek, uh, played by Sean Bridgers. Um, She's just killed the kid using the lawnmower blade and sliced him in half, basically. And then she opens up the father's body, reaches up into his chest, pulls out his heart, and then bites it in front of him as he then falls to the ground. Um, I, just, I really, I love this movie, and I really love that final. Game. I thought you meant the lawnmower one because it, it seemed like the lawnmower one. I mean, it's clearly implied what happens, but I don't recall it being much by way of special effects. Uh, was I wrong about that, Dingus? I don't know. I'm just uh, I'm just talking about the the way that final kill plays out. Right, late. Um, the I'm getting a lot of roboting from you guys. I don't know what's going on here. I'm not. Okay, never mind then. But we'll see, won't we? Uh, the daughter in um, the woman who is not very memorable in The Woman, and Sean Bridgers are in a horror movie with Larry Fessenden called Jug Fa- Jughead? Jug Face. Jug Face. Uh, about a bunch of hillbillies that worship a pit, a mud pit. And, uh, and it's about female pregnancy. <laughs> uh, just like Two Towers. <laughs> Kelly, it's also not not any good. Uh, Kelly, Wan, what is your number one favorite favorite horror movie kill? Uh, my number one is um. See, I wanted the whole last half hour of Dead Alive really should just count as its own thing. In which case, I'm kind of doing what I was kvetching about Dingus doing with helicopter. But if I can only pick one kill from that movie, I think I'd go with where. The zombie baby claws his way out of the chick by, like, 
uh, he's inside her and he, like, ta- he, like, peels her skeleton in half and comes out like one of those Russian dolls. It's a famous shot. Yep. So that's my number one. My number one is the silver orb in the first Phantasm. <sighs> um, Wait, killing who? Uh, well, it just kills a, one of the henchmen, so it's no big deal. But it's supposed to kill the boy. I mean, the thing is, the just the weird internal fiction of the Phantasm movies, you don't know it at this point, right. so <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. So you see the silver ball flying around, you're like, big deal. You can, By the way, you can only experience this for the first time once, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> but but that, the silver ball flying around... You're like, what's the big deal? It's a silver ball, so what? And then it pops out those two ornate kind of fork barbed blade things. And then it finally sticks in the guy's head. And then a drill comes out of the middle and bores into his head. And then a little hole <laughs> opens in the back that squirts out all of his blood. Just the, the how graphic it is and the weird trippiness and how it makes no sense. Why would an alien from another planet who's coming here to resurrect bodies shrink them down into dwarves and send them back to his planet for, for slave labor? Why would he have this method of killing people? You know, why not just he's 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 a big uh, impervious dude, just kill him with a blade or whatever. These Wait, are some like uh, weird You're saying the balls don't make sense. That's the part that breaks down. Well the, I I don't know if they're supposed to be like guard sentries that, yeah. that protect the area. And then why don't they just why all the rigmarole by boring into somebody's head? You know, why not just Cause they're blow up? Shit. I guess so, I guess so. It's part of the ritual of slave crushing. It just doesn't seem very effective. Dude. Like, what if it doesn't hit you in the forehead? What what if it accidentally... (laughs) It's the tall man, doesn't it? No, but what if it nicks you, like, on the shoulder, and one of the blades just hangs on your shoulder? What's it going to do? There's a bunch of other ones, and it's like you're messing with that one, and there's a bunch of different ones that are going to... Well, they actually do. Yeah, they do expand the silver ball mythology in the later ones. But There's, like, a girl who has them in her boobs. Yeah, none of that is canon, Kelly Wand. What? I refuse to acknowledge those. It's twin canons. (laughs) Very nice. Uh, all right, let's go to some uh, picks from our readers. I'm excited. All right, so uh, favorite horror movie kills. Jonathan J. Lando de Pratna says, This week I decided to do not just my favorite horror kills, but a specific subset. The I am topless woman in a horror film, so of course I have to die trope. <laughs> Number three, Jason Goes to Hell. The film is terrible. <laughs> worst Jason, unlike Jason X in Space, which is the best worst. <sighs> anyway... Anyway, a couple, tempting the horror movie gods by specifically not using a condom, has sex. And as she gets on top to ride him, while clearly highlighting her breasts, she gets stabbed through the stomach, and the blade raises to split her in half from the chest up. Is that happening in hell? He has uh, helpfully provided a YouTube link (laughs) for that. Uh, Jonathan J. Lando de Pratna's number two pick goes to one of my favorite teen years series, besides Star Wars, and it's called Silent Night, Deadly Night. Ah, oh, wait. Also, also a classic. Yeah. Uh, I love the series, but the first is the best. I'm not going to cite the opening rape, because while it is boobs, then death, the rape makes it a bit too icky, icky to include. Thank you. Uh, but later, <laughs> breaks into a home of a couple making love by the fire in a den. Her top comes off, and Santa comes out to tell them they have been, quote, naughty. He picks up her topless body and jams it through a giant's elk's head hanging on the wall. Shown in such detail, it really captured my imagination. <laughs> uh, he regrets he could not find a clip. Uh, uh, his number one pick, 
Shopping Mall is a terrible and wholly forgettable film about three couples sneaking into a mall to party overnight. Little did they know the security is patrol robots set to kill. There is one clumsy scene where a couple breaks into the mattress store to do as they do, and the bot kills the boyfriend, so she runs and gets shot by a laser in the butt twice, and then she inexplicably stops and turns and gets shot again, and her head explodes. What? That's what Jonathan J. Landry Wait, is it the same cheek twice or once each cheek? Uh, he writes, I remember being a kid and rewinding the tape to see that head explode over and over again. <laughs> you didn't get the ass part. I shared it with friends. It is really memorable. It's that kind of kill. Here's another clip. Uh, watching the scene again, uh, he says it's really not that good, but as a memory, it was so random in such a cruddy flicks, flick that he built it up over the years. Uh, Joe Johnson not the director, as far as I know, writes, Hey, guys, love... Actually, isn't that the Rocketeer guy, Joe Johnson? Did I make that up? And Inner Space. No, that's Joe Dante. I think you're right. No, that's Joe Johnson. He also did um, Jurassic Park. Ah, yes. Very good, Dingus, yes. And something recently... uh, Not Captain America. What what did he do? Yeah, Captain America. Absolutely Captain America. Uh. Yeah. So maybe this is the director of, of Captain America. Joe Johnson writes to us and says, Hey, guys, love the show. Uh, he had help with his friend David. Um, let's see, my friend and I, David, both participated. He went with movies with the best practical gross-out effects. I went with horror movie deaths that shook me emotionally. Mm. Here are Joe's picks. Number three, Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice. <laughs> Joe writes, imagine being eight years old, flipping through the channels, and then landing on the scene where the children lock the townspeople in a building and burn them all alive. I had nightmares for weeks. Joe's number two pick, the 1973 original Wicker Man. Sergeant Neil Howey is burned to death inside a giant wicker statue, while Christopher Lee and his cult of pagan worshippers sing folk songs. The juxtaposition of a man's anguished screams and the festive singing around him always gives me chills. Yep. Uh, Ironic. Inhalation theme. And isn't he screaming like he's screaming... uh, proclamations of how he's still Christian. Like, isn't he, like, invoking Christ or something? Uh, I forget. Like, it's the particular stuff that he is screaming that, that was partly what made it chilling. Nicholas Cage just goes, ow! <laughs> uh, Joe's number one pick, Pan's Labyrinth. He says maybe more dark fantasy than horror, but Ophelia is shot by her stepfather and left to die after refusing to sacrifice her baby brother to ensure her passage to the underworld. As her life leaks away, her blood opens the portal for her to cross over. But is this really happening, or is Ophelia dreaming in her final moments? Finally, uh, Joe includes his friend David's picks. David apparently doesn't have email. Uh, (laughs) David's number three pick is Dead Alive. And his particular choice of scene is, take your pick. (laughs) All right. Uh, David's number two pick, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Uh, He chooses the Cat from Hell segment, uh, where the cat comes out of Buster Poindexter's mouth. hmm, I remember that. Uh, Yeah, me either. And then finally, uh, his number one pick, I'm sure we'll all remember this one, the head explosion in Scanners. Yeah. Uh, their honorable mentions are Samuel Jackson in Deep Blue Sea and <laughs> Captain America. Wait a minute. Oh, this is so ru- You know what? I'm not even going to read this. Joe Johnson, his, his own movie, in Cabin in the Woods, wants to talk about Captain America trying to motorcycle jump his way across a chasm. That's Thor. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Joe Johnson. Oh, how dare you? He got, well, you know, 
He doesn't remember what he directed. That was two years so. ago. Very busy. He's going to be yeah. getting a call from Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. Uh, Dan Winningham writes, Hey guys, uh, I'm channeling my 12-year-old self for three of my favorite horror movie kills, and I'm going with the big three slashers, Jason, Michael Myers, and Freddy Krueger. Mm. Any of these scenes would make me exclaim, Nice! In a crowded movie theater. Good lord, really? Yes, Dingus. <laughs> You're famous for that. Uh, Dan writes from Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. Uh, I love that one. There's a scene where a hapless victim is walking on his hands down a hallway when he looks up to see Jason swinging down at him with a machete. What happens next is shot from beneath the actor, who's apparently hand-standing on a piece of plexiglass, as his body comes tumbling down in a split-second spray of gore. It makes me wonder if they put out the casting call for an actor who could walk on his hands or just discovered he could do it and wrote it in. And I actually have the answer to that question because that actor was my roommate in graduate school. Oh. <laughs> That's no lie. My buddy Jeff, he had finished acting at that point, and he went to divinity school. Uh, Jeff had been in That's where he learned his hand walking. So, no, seriously, he was the guy. He was like a he was like a gymnast. I mean, he could totally he could do it for us. Like he could totally walk around on his hands just indefinitely. He was amazing at it, and they did definitely used that in the movie. Uh, I don't actually know if it was in the script first, but uh, I used to make fun of him for that all the time. Um, and yeah, that, that's a, a famous scene. He also, I think, was he doing the yo-yo? There was other like three D stuff in the movie. Uh, wait, why weren't you in it then? I wasn't an actor back then. No, I didn't do acting. So it's like a lifelong rivalry, acting-wise. Well, he had quit. You know, he was no longer acting. He was going to divinity school. And while I was in divinity school, I was quitting divinity school and doing acting. I almost did not graduate just because I was doing so much theater. being in the movie uh, change his attitude towards religion? Uh, He got residuals checks that let him pay for divinity school, I think. All right. (laughs) Uh, and I do remember talking to him about the thing that discouraged him most was he was up for the part of the I don't know if it's a sidekick, but apparently in He Man Masters of the Universe, the uh, Dolph, with Dolph. There's a Dolph, yeah, with Dolph Lundgren. Isn't there a kid who's like his yeah. kid? For, yeah. So Jeff was up for that part. And, Transformers, but organic, like the Shia LaBeouf and Transformers. Yeah. Well, uh, Jeff was that. That was one of the really discouraging things that happened to him is that he didn't get the it, part uh, of the kid. Talents, yeah, which would have so. tied in. Uh, but I love that Dan brought up that that scene. That is great. Uh, his runner-up, Dan says, is the sleeping bag kill from Part Seven. Uh. Um, and then he writes, "All this crap is on YouTube if you really want to see it." <laughs> uh, Dan's number two pick from Halloween, the 1978 original, the kill where Michael stabs Bob up against Bob <laughs> up against the wall, always struck me as particularly odd slash chilling, especially in the way Michael steps back to observe the body, always silent, but tilting his head slightly back and forth as if either fascinated by what he has wrought or maybe just sated for a time. Well, he's just starting out, so it's still interesting to him. Yeah, exactly. He's sort of studying his work. Yeah. Uh, his Michael Myers runner-up is when Busta Rhymes kills Michael with Kung Fu. What? Well, and then Dan writes, just kidding, sort kind of. Uh, I don't know. Wait, there's a Kung Fu Michael Myers one? Couldn't tell you. I don't know. He wrote, he wrote just kidding. Because Telekinesis Girl versus Jason was kind of good. How did that turn out? Um, yeah, she lives. <laughs> that's <laughs> okay, that's winning in those movies. Good for her. Yeah. Uh, and then from uh, For Freddy, Dan Winningham writes, ah. For Freddy? Oh, screw it. I don't really care for Freddy. I'm going to go with Rhodes being eviscerated by zombies in Day of the Dead. 
Uh, I don't remember who Rhodes is. While we've seen this before in Dawn, or even in Fulci stuff, it's something about the way Rhodes goes out screaming, choke on him, as he is quite literally torn apart. Like in The Hitcher. Mm, there's no zombies in there. My favorite Freddie kill was in the third one, where it was like the mute kid, and there was like a really hot nurse, and she seduces him, and then like... She spits out tongues that tie him to his bedposts, and then he, like, goes down in hell, wild and shit. It's like she's topless, too. And topless. Oh, so that, that would go with Jonathan J. Lando Duprotna's picks. Yeah. Uh, Dan Winningham, by the way, uh, invites us all, if we're ever down in his neck of the woods, uh, he says, please allow me to be your host at the local me- Megaplex for some films, and then afterwards, let's hit a box and talk about how fucking sexy that was. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Paul Weimer, Paul Weimer, who doesn't just watch apparently grandpa movies and classics, but apparently knows enough about horror films to br- give us three picks, writes, oh, you know what, he even starts, like Dingus, I don't see a lot of horror, a ton of horror films, so I am similarly at a disadvantage, as he is, but Paul soldiers through, here's what he's given us, number three, Event Horizon, Dr. Weir kills one of the crew of the Lewis and Clark by a particularly graphic vivisection, there isn't a lot of real outer space horror, which makes this movie a particularly effective combination and an effective kill. Uh, Paul's number two pick is, ah, here we go, Ghost Ship. Uh, the death of the conspirators, as seen in flashback in the movie Ghost Ship, it makes it completely clear that the antagonist of the movie has been manipulating events for quite some time, and the cargo hook death that ends the sequence is particularly chilling. The death of the passengers and crew by a taut cable slicing their throats in another flashback is equally chilling. Then, Paul, Paul, Paul's number one pick, Prince of Darkness. Alex, Alice Cooper, as a possessed psychopath, killing one of the students in the courtyard is sudden, sharp, and with an unusual bicycle weapon. Uh-huh. Oh, no, with an unusual weapon, a bicycle tube. Uh-huh. All right. So he goes through his back, and then it spits blood out through the back. Ah. I like that. Oh, like a pump. Yeah. Mean. Like an air pump. Oh, I see. I like <laughs> that. That's the Thanks. last time. Yes. What? Thanks, John Carpenter. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> that's the last time, what? That a bicycle pump was used to kill someone? Because that's not true, Kelly Wand. In Munich, they kill that poor, I think she's topless too, they kill that poor topless woman with all the cats in the houseboat with uh, guns disguised as bicycle pumps. Oh, I got Schindler's List mixed up with what you were talking about. <laughs> I was all, what? Riverboat. Peter Hayes writes, A cherry what ho from across the pond again, chaps. See? See what I did there? Take that, hand walker. <laughs> uh, and Peter says he heartily approves of this week's 3x3. Three three. His choices are as follows. Number three. Oh, you thought you were safe in that car, but whoops, you've been disemboweled and had your neck snapped. Unlucky, but those rage-infected ex-soldiers love to get their revenge chow, thus to all backseat drivers. The victim is Major Henry West, played by Christopher Eccleston in 28 Days Later. They do pull him out of the back of the car, which, by the way, does, does that remind you of any scene, Kelly Wand? Uh, Titanic, where she pulls Leo DiCaprio into the car and has sex with him. Kelly Wan, you should see a movie called Phantasm, in which <gasps> oh. Michael is in the back seat of a VW bug with the crazy old, with the girls who are the granddaughters, I guess, of the crazy old medium, and the, the little dwarf Jawa things pull him out of the back seat of the VW. Uh. Oh, yeah. Peter Haynes' number two pick. Oh, your head just exploded during your own press conference. <laughs> 
unlucky, but it's frickin' Michael Ironside, for Pete's sake. Quite the foolish misadventure. The victim? He is the unnamed first scanner in... Wait for it. Scanners. Yeah, I thought that was Frank Oz. What? I know. That's Looks a little like him. Peter Haynes' number one pick. Oh, you've been bifurcated by a stray elevator cable. Ah, only two. Uh, unlucky, but it serves you right for taking the powers of the Antichrist for taking on the powers of the Antichrist with nothing more than some blood work. The victim is Doctor Kane and Damien. <laughs> Doctor Kane. Yeah. That's his name. Philip Torda writes. What? No. These are interesting. Uh, his number three pick, Pieces. A 1982 movie. I don't think I've seen this. Uh. The girl who gets her arm chainsawed off after the killer, who's dressed like the Shadow or Boris Badenov, sneaks a chainsaw onto the small elevator she's taking by hiding it behind his back. I haven't seen that. His number two, Kelly Wand, you'll like this, Basket Case. Uh. Belial kills the vet by slamming her head into a drawer of scalpels. The vet's struggle with Belial is reminiscent of Bella Lugosi's struggle with the octopus in Ed Wood. Belial Lugosi. Very good, Kelly Wand. Nope. <laughs> no, you're going to rebuff my very good. I disagree very strongly, <laughs> I object, Your Honor, to myself. Sustained. Philip Torta's number one pick, The Thing. The uh, Norris Thing. There's the name. Uh, the, oh, no, The Norris Thing bites off your right Paula was the hippie. Right, but the Norris thing bites off Dr. Copper's arms with its stomach when the doc tries to perform a defibrillation. Great special effects and a kill that was out of the left field the first time I saw it. Uh, Philip Torta's runner-up is Frankenhooker. The hookers that explode after taking explosive crack, leading to the head of one of them flying off and hitting Zorro the pimp in the face, knocking him out cold. Um, Wait, so the kill is her. Right, because apparently Zorro just gets knocked out cold. Uh, Okay. Oh, I like Dan Edmonds. All right. Dan Edmonds writes, uh, Hey, guys, I wasn't sure if Tom was looking for three of my favorite horror movie killers Uh, or horror movie killers. These picks are for the latter. (laughs) Thank you, Dan. Dan's number three. uh, I know at least two people on this podcast will like this one. Mika, Micah, Micah's death in Paranormal Activity. Micah dies off screen and all we hear is a struggle and then silence. We hear slow footsteps, boy do we hear them, from someone coming up the stairs and later see Micah's dead body fly towards the camera. The movie creates an atmosphere that most found footage movies lack. The build-up is slow, but the ending is worth it. Oh, but then he ruins it. Dan, Dan writes, and I couldn't disagree more, Dan writes... I suggest watching the Rift Tracks version of Paranormal Activity by the guys from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, yeah, no, thank you. The first one? The first, part. first of all, the Rift Tracks, they're the, they're the Mike Nelson splinter group. They're, and Kevin Martin. The real... Joelists. Yeah, the Joelists, like me and Kelly Wan, we're watching Cinematic Titanic, where they're not messing up perfectly good movies by talking during them, where they're carrying on the point of Mystery Science Theater 3000, which is this affectionate joshing towards yeah. bad horror movies and sci-fi. Uh, I just so, think Joel's funnier. But that, that too, Kelly Wan, yeah. All right, so nice. sorry, Dan, you, you great great pick, but you lost us at the end. Let's see if Dan can, uh, can uh, make up for that. Here's his number two pick. Uh, oh, jeez. Uh, family versus lawnmower in Sinister. <laughs> out of all the stuff... I got to see this movie. 
Um, yeah, you kind of do, because there's some funny things in it. Uh, Dan writes, out of all the snuff films in Sinister, because uh, Ethan Hawke finds a whole bunch of them in the attic, uh, this one was probably the most memorable. I would have chosen Man vs. Lawnmower from The Happening, but I wasn't sure if The Happening oh, well. was... But I wasn't sure if The Happening was a horror movie or a... Dan wasn't putting up a fight. He starts the lawnmower and lays in front of it. That's not a versus. Uh, But he wasn't sure if it was a horror movie or a comedy. So, Uh, Dan's number one pick... Uh, Oh, I like this, too. Uh, Dingus, you're not allowed to listen to this. You know what, Dingus? The sell-by date is over. You you have to listen to this. Oh, no. Uh, Dan Edmonds' number one pick, uh, Heather's death at the end of Blair Witch Project. I love how they incorporated the story of the ritualistic way the children are killed into the ending of the movie. You don't understand what's going on until it's too late. The movie cuts to black, and we're left to use our imagination as to what happened next. She wrote a book next, according to last week's podcast. Right. Well, she's been in a few movies. and uh, Oh, you know what? I was going to say an episode of The River, but I realized I was, I was confusing her with Katie Featherstone. Oh, my, oh my God. I know, I know. That's wrong on so many levels. Andrew Neller writes, number three, Ghost Ship. I love the origin montage, but two here stand out. Very taut wire snaps, cutting a bunch of well-to-do luxury liner passengers in half on the dance floor. And a cargo hook slips free, killing a woman in a red dress as the end of a series of backstabbings and betrayals. All right. Is Andrew's number two pick? Wait a minute. Dingus in Wolf Creek. In Wolf, <laughs> in Wolf Creek. Does that guy actually say that's not a knife? This is a knife. What? Wolf Creek. What did you say? In Wolf Creek, does the guy say that's not a knife? This is a knife. I don't remember that. I hope he do that. I hope not. It could be Andrew just making a a joke. Uh, Anyway, uh, he picks Wolf Creek, a great Australian horror movie. Uh, While the movie may never actually show the true fate of Liz, it's fair to to say the scene in which her spinal cord is severed is effectively her death. Yeah, it's just so completely heartless with what it does to her. That's an awful scene uh, and a good pick. Uh, Andrew Neller's number one pick. Number one, Cabin in the Woods. A character spends the whole movie moping about not getting to see a merman in action, taking on the teenagers. Instead, in one of the best turnarounds, his uh, in one of the best turnarounds, his ultimate fate is at the hands of one of these creatures, and we see why. Quote: They require so much cleanup. End quote. Uh, Runner up is one we Doesn't mentioned. He say, does he say something like seriously or? You gotta be kidding. Or seri- yeah. That definitely sound. What's that actor's name? Dingus. Willie Stripfords. Bradley Stritz. Oh, Bradley Bradley Whitford, I believe. Yeah, yeah. definitely sounds Bradley like something. Whitford. Yeah, definitely sounds like something he would say. Uh, and then Andrew's uh, runner-up is one we won't mention because it was mentioned at the end of the podcast last week. As well, there, there's a great kill in, in Your Next, which is a movie we saw last week, which we all liked, uh, and it was a kill that we hadn't really seen before. So that's Andrew's uh, runner-up. Uh, runners-up from you, gentlemen. Uh. I like the bus in Final Destination just because it's really it's staged really well and it's kind of misdirection up till then. Like there's all these really stupid false. Aren't they all like that though? I mean, that's kind of the point. It was the first good one though. It's the first one you realize you were watching the beginning of a franchise because there's all these red herrings and then the good one. But it was also impossible too, so I wasn't sure if it should go on the list because I was thinking it's going to be a kill that could happen, like the shock paddles and the thing. (laughs) Uh, One of what one of the funniest kills I've ever seen, and the movie did not think it was funny, was the ending of that awful remake of the awful movie, Last House on the Left, um, which is, 
Wes Craven's take on Virgin Spring, where he demonstrates he has no idea what makes Virgin Spring good. Um, but in Last House on the Left, it's about this family. Their daughter gets uh, raped and murdered, and then the family puts up the killers for the night. They're taking shelter there, and then the family kills the killers and rapers of their daughter. So they did a remake, uh, which is horrible. Uh, and one of the many things they screw up in the remake, by the way, is the family's daughter doesn't get killed. Uh, so the family yeah. is just doing this revenge stuff for a rape, which, okay, you know what? what? Is Amber um, Heard in that, or is she in the Stepfather no, remake? Good Lord, no, it's Sarah Paxton from Shark Knight 3D, Kelly Wand, and Innkeepers. Mm. Uh, so uh, they do kill, however, uh, her friend, so she dies, and she's the adorable girl, uh, Becca, from Superbad. Um, so anyway, in this horrible remake, the main killer, the main bad guy, the main raper in Last House on the Left is Garrett Dillahunt. <laughs> Oh, he is not a raper. <laughs> Garrett, Garrett Dillahunt is. So the the posse, by the way, consists of Garrett Dillahunt, uh, an actress named Ricky Lindholm, who uh, it's oh. yeah, I know she's like funny and, and charming, and she's supposed to be this this gangster, this raper's mall, basically. Uh, and finally, Aaron Paul. It's the the final, he's the final member of the group of rapers in the uh, group. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to hang out. I want to hang out with these guys. You know, they're not rapers. I don't believe this for a second. Those but anyway, characters. yeah, they're they're all they're all terrible. So anyway, what happens is uh, most of them get killed. But uh, it turns out that Tony Goldwyn, who's Sarah Paxton's father, who's the main killer guy, who's got to struggle with, oh, I'm a doctor and now I'm going to murder these people because they raped my daughter and. Uh, and by the way, they think their daughter might be dead. Like it's only at the end of the movie. Like, oh, she's. They get her to the hospital. She's fine. So he's a uh, surgeon. So what he does is Garrett Dillahunt gets knocked out, and he surgically paralyzes Garrett Dillahunt. He surgically like severs his spinal cord and waits for Garrett Dillahunt to wake up. And Garrett Dillahunt wakes up, and he's like, "What? What's going on? I can't move." And Tony Goldwyn's like, "That's right. I surgically paralyzed you." And Earlier in the movie, this has been set up, they have a microwave oven that's busted that it keeps turning on even though the door's not shut. Uh. So he's got Garrett Dillahunt laid out on a table in the garage, and he's got the microwave at the head of the table. And he lifts Garrett Dillahunt's head, and he puts it in the open microwave uh. and, and presses the buttons. Like doop, 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 and then he presses start on the microwave. And Garrett Dillahunt, paralyzed, is lying there with his head in the microwave, Going like, oh, no, blah, and then his head blows up. Is that what happens? <laughs> yep. And the credit you can think of to do with a paralyzed dude? That's right. And well, they, they took advantage of an appliance on the fritz, so that worked out. And, and then the credit switch would have been something else. So. <laughs> Next week's 3 by 3 For a toaster, he would have used his hands on the fritz. <laughs> well, he knows how to sever spinal cords, but he's like, yeah, fix the microwave a million years from now. I have a friend whose doctor dad uh, just removed the door of their microwave just to prove that you can cook stuff in the microwave without harming the family. Wait, is that true? Are they, and are they still alive? Yes, they're all still alive. It's just this weird are, they, are they now mutants? Do they have superpowers, Dingus? They are among us. <laughs> uh, it's not really a horror movie, uh, but you see so many stabbings in horror movies that aren't effective. Uh-huh. There's that stabbing in Zodiac, which is so just just weirdly disturbing where he, you know, he comes up on the couple and he ties them up and, uh, and then he just starts stabbing like that. It's just so kind of dispassionate and I hate that stabbing. I mean that, I, I don't know why horror movies aren't that effective. Cause again, this is just, 
you don't really know these characters. They're just fodder for the Zodiac killer at the scene in the movie. But Fincher does a really uncomfortable stabbing scene in Zodiac. Well, it's also that it, it really happened. So the, maybe that's the creepy part. Well, as we're watching Happy Birthday to Me, we're like... Yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. That's a, that movie's a documentary. Kelly One, Texas Chainsaw Massacre opens with a title card saying based on a true story. Mm, he, like, Far, like Fargo. There's some good killings in that movie. Uh, in an, a movie called, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to speak French. You guys get ready for this. That's a movie called L'Interieur. That's one of my movies, though, too. L'Interieur. Ah, which French one? Man. Which one, Dingus? Scissors. I thought it was a knitting needle. Oh. With a mother? She, I thought she clips open. Alright, go ahead. Oh, oh, no, no. It's a woman who killed, accidentally kills her own mother with a knitting needle. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, isn't she just outside the bathroom door or something? Yeah, yeah. But the yeah. one you're talking about is good too, Dingus. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. Tom, I said, darn it. Would you consider Irreversible a horror movie? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm gonna say no, but that's quite that's <laughs> yeah, like that's, a Frenchman would. <laughs> Ew! I just can't get away from that. That what, is it a fire extinguisher? Oh yeah, yeah, it's a fire extinguisher. Yeah. I can't get away from just that. the. Re- relentless nature of having to watch that kill. Uh, would you consider it a horror movie, Dingus? For me, yeah. <laughs> well, it's definitely... I, I had a, a conversation with a... It's horrific. I don't know if it's horror, you know. Well, I, I was talking to someone who made this really cool game. Uh, it takes two hours to play. It's called Gone Home. Um, oh, I played it. And, well, would you call it... A, I asked him if he would call it a horror game. Uh... And it, it's kind of, there's some misdirection going on in that you, you think you're playing a horror game and something else kind of happens. I don't want to ruin it for anyone. But for me, I feel comfortable calling it a horror game because I feel that horror is anything that, that taps into or draws from some universal fear or dread, no matter how indirectly. Whether it's something as pedestrian as I don't want a, a maniac in the woods to stab me, or whether it's more existential. Like, what if everybody in the world left and I was be- abandoned and alone, which is kind of the point of 28. Uh, weeks later. Um, so anything that plays primarily on dread, I, I feel, has a claim to being horror. And I think that's definitely the case with Gone Home. So Irreversible Dingus, there's, it's more of a kind of a character study or a mystery about going backwards. Why did this stuff happen? But as you are realizing why this stuff happened and as you're realizing the structure of the movie and as you're realizing what you're about to see, um, I, there is definitely that sense of of, of dread and and it certainly plays on all of these preconceived notions that people have about rape. I mean, it's 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 absolutely brutal in that regard. So in a way, I want to call it more of a, a revenge movie, but it kind of meets my criteria for horror. I, I think I don't know. But, but what's what's amazing about the movie is that once you get to the end, beginning of it, you get this feeling of the dread spooling back out, so that that. Kill becomes so much more horrific. Right. right. Yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't think it's a horror movie. I just think it's horrific. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Does what count, Kelly One? You wanted to make a joke about Irreversible. Go ahead. Make us laugh now that we've talked about Irreversible. What, Kelly One, what's the funniest scene in Irreversible? Uh, don't even, please don't even answer that. <laughs> I don't, I don't like see that. movies that aren't in reverse. <laughs> Uh, all right, what is uh, next week's 3x3 three three dingus? Yeah, dingus, what do you have for us next week for our 3x3? Three three? All right, so in the movie we saw this week... Um, I've forgotten it already. Yeah. That's, how, that's, how, that's how much impact it had That's on how me. it was designed. <laughs> it was called Closes Circuitous. Um, 
there's a lot of use of split screen in this movie, and and uh, by uh, so I'm going to ask for your favorite uses of split screen in in movies. So it, it, by split screen, it doesn't have to be half screen. It can be using uh, several different portions of the screen split up to use different images, but clearly it's split. It's splitting the screen, splitting the image there that you're watching on the film. So these are your favorite uses of split screen that we saw used in closed circuit, kind of in a in a weird way that's not explained in a lot of ways. Fingus, if we ask Kelly Wan if he has any questions, how many movies do you think he'll ruin? All of them. Let's not. Uh, yes, no, do not ask me a question. If you have any picks for Dingus's 3x3 for next week, we would love to hear them. Send them in to 3 by 3 at quarter2three.com. That's the number 3, the letter X, the number 3, at, and then you spell out quarter2three.com. Uh, remember to, to vote in the pledge drive. Uh, pick what movie you want us to see. Send us a, a you know, any, any donation of a dollar or more, uh, gets the commensurate amount of votes. So, uh, send in some votes. Uh, like us on Facebook. We love it when you do that. We have a Twitter account, which is mainly video game stuff, but occasionally movie stuff. That's at QT3. Uh, and we love ratings on iTunes. Uh, next week, we will be, before we discuss the 3 by 3 of our favorite split-screen scenes, we will be seeing Riddick. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of that, Kelly Wand? Uh I guess it's September. <laughs> Oh. Oh. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian McClinsky. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Watt. Oh, God. Uh. La, 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 la. I guess I gotta watch that Soderbergh thing with Selma Hayek. Split screen now, Dingus. I told all of this to the queer guy before you. He means you, Tom.